This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons, where all of our robots are legless. I'm your host, the complete glass white Bob Mackie, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today in the same room? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, dutifully cutting lemons as we speak. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? Who is our special guest today? Hey, it's me, Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and this week's episode is Homer the Mo. I'm a walking down the street, gonna open Mo's bar. I'm a singing what I'm thinking. Hey, look at that dog. <laughs> This week's episode originally aired on November 18th, 2001, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, the Xbox and GameCube video game systems are released in the United States, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone tops the box office, and J-Lo featuring Jaw Rule's I'm Real tops the Billboard charts. Mm, what a time to be alive. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, Stuart, I know you're a big tabletop gamer. I forget, are you uh, a console gamer as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, uh, when it comes to video games, I'm strictly not a PC gamer because... Uh, uh, I don't believe in political correctness. Now, uh, <laughs> because uh, I cannot understand how to maintain a gaming PC, but yeah, you know, I play I play some video games here and there. <laughs> now, Bob and I are both former games press people. Uh, that was our old life, uh -oh. so we were very into the gaming mm -hmm. world. And yeah, I mean, I had I got a GameCube day one, mainly for a game that would come out two weeks after the system launch, which we'll talk about in the history of the next episode. Okay. But I was playing Super Monkey Ball quite a lot that, mm -hmm. that first weekend. And then all of my friends, uh, the cooler friends, were like, why are you playing this baby game about cute monkeys inside of balls when you should be playing Halo about <laughs> shooting aliens in the face who may or may not be symbolically uh, Muslim people you're shooting in the face? True. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I definitely remember playing Halo in my friend's dorm room and being very blown away by its... Uh, storytelling. Mm -hmm. I, the first day I worked in video game retail, uh, I worked in retail for about two years. The first day I worked was the launch of the Xbox. I came in after... Which, uh, which, which retailer can you say? Uh, it was a GameStop related retailer. Uh, after Before they all oh, like okay. converged into GameStop. But I came in the yeah, day yeah. of the Xbox launch and it was just, you know, green and black balloons everywhere. Uh, <laughs> just like a total mess. I also I, So I ended up working the launch of the GameCube. The word unceremonious comes to mind. <laughs> uh, nobody cared. I had a GameCube and I loved it, but uh, it was a big, big failure of a system uh, for mm. Nintendo. Mm. And uh, yeah, th this really overlaps with my time in, in working in malls. That's so funny. So when you were watching this episode when it was new, you were uh, freshly off like a shift at the at the old yes. at the old game stuff. Five twenty five an hour. Uh, that's uh, what a great pay rate. <laughs> that. <laughs> I I very briefly worked in a GameStop as well, but this was only man. This was well, like 
It was like almost 10 years ago. I was uh, on a stint of brief stint of unemployment after being laid off from Games Workshop, which is a different type of mm-hmm. game company. <laughs> and a friend of mine, a friend of mine was managing the uh, GameStop in Sunset Park, and he brought me on as like seasonal help. And I remember at one point his boss came in and was like, "Wow, who's this guy behind the register?" <laughs> because I'd like gone from like being a regional manager of a hobby company <laughs> to like you know being seasonal help. So I'm like and all this stuff and yeah that was fun <laughs> uh you know the 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 star wars game that came out with that was really good rogue squadron on the gamecube like that just doing the trench run of the death star and that i was like i'm like playing a movie here it was amazing <laughs> and well yeah the harry potter movies uh is well you know it debuted this week and number one mm-hmm. like we we talked about it in our uh the episode before this about the treehouse that they did a harry potter parody two week before the movie comes out so they have no specifics on the movie and uh this is it set the tone for like the next close to decade of movies uh, that, that yeah. uh, all of the pre-marvel movies that conquered cinema was all yeah. all harry potter and harry potter adjacent things it made uh so it was the number one movie of 2001 mm, man that's uh but spider-man's coming soon to to make way more money than that in 2002 but <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yeah that j-lo song it's fine i think uh she's like not a great singer she's she's great at being a movie uh, uh, she's great at being like a superstar yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah uh it's it's no jenny from the block though no you know okay harsh criticism <laughs> the uh i'm sure we'll get into it but there's some weird parallels with uh jk rowling in this episode oh oh for mm, sure for sure yes yes there is <laughs> so we're beating around the bush here let's introduce our guest for today uh Stuart wellington Ooh. of the Flophouse podcast now i believe in your 15th year of being a podcast uh, oh no yeah i think it's, it's close to that we started in 2000 august 2007 mm. wow so we've, been, we've been doing it consistently for a long time and in addition to being a podcaster i also own a few bars in brooklyn uh and i'm a bartender and uh, i think some of those skills might be applicable to today's episode absolutely i mean uh we're big fans of Stuart in the flop house but also you are a ringer for this episode because of your bar expertise mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see if it applies <laughs> i guess first thing to ask about bar ownership how many shotguns do you have and are <laughs> they in like at least one per bar i would hope Legally, you have to tell me if you're a cop when you ask that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Well, of course, like that's one thing that Mo gets right. You know, with Cheers, Ted Danson started like he put a rag over his shoulder and that is not a bar thing. Like, why would you put your rag on your shoulder? <laughs> but I know way too many bartenders who pick that up from Ted Danson. Like, it's not like Ted Danson was a bartender before doing Cheers. He just started doing that because he wants something to do with his hands. And I think so where that gets things wrong, Mo gets it right by always carrying a shotgun is what i'm trying to say <laughs> well on an sd tv you couldn't see how filthy ted danson's shoulder actually was it was disgusting true. <laughs> yeah uh, how trendy are your bars compared to the the re the, the reimagining that Mose goes through in this as well i would like to think that my bars are kind of in between <laughs> Mose and m the reimagining of Mose. uh we don't have we don't have an oxygen machine we don't play sports unless you consider RuPaul's Drag Race a sport, in which case we do play sports. Okay. Uh, and there's a variety. Well, I'm sure we'll get into more of the, uh, the specifics. <laughs> but my, I run a couple of neighbor. We we describe them as neighborhood bars, not 
they're not dive bars, but they're not like cocktail bars or anything like that. And uh, I guess you know, what's your personal history with Simpsons? Uh, did you uh, have the have the typical American childhood of of growing up with it? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it's I mean, it's just been around so long, right? So yeah, I mean, I grew up during the during the peak period of Simpsons, and then I think I I like I fell off when I went away to college, and I you know I when I came back, it wasn't as good as it was before, and I feel like I'm pretty uh, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a super fan, but I like it. <laughs> I think that's most people's stories that are around our age. Like you go to college and you forget about the show. But me, I went to a commuter college. So I was still living in my childhood bedroom. So I was still in my old habits of watching The Simpsons every Sunday. So I just, I kept watching. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely remember going to like, like I didn't have network television in my dorm room. But we, like I would, I would go with some friends to like, I went to a small Quaker, like liberal arts college in Indiana, and we would go to the basement on Sundays to like, we would go and watch The Simpsons sometimes. And I remember like going and watching Simpsons followed by the premiere of Family Guy and being like, well, this isn't going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) And it briefly didn't. And then came back to become the, uh, a defining cultural comedy thing. Who would have known? Yeah. I think they're up to 400 episodes now. I think pretty, pretty close, but (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. And this was also the uh, the Thanksgiving or the setup for the Thanksgiving after 9-11, a tough time for America when this when this aired a weird time. Yeah, I didn't even consider that. But yeah, that's I mean, I I, I, pretty quickly I'm like, oh, yeah, this must be the Thanksgiving episode. But I didn't quite realize until I checked the dates. Uh, It's kind of secretly a Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. And I've I've got theories about that. Okay, uh, that uh, in the previous (laughs) season, uh, Homer versus Dignity was also secretly a Thanksgiving episode. Suddenly it's Thanksgiving in the the last like five minutes. Yeah, that's right. It's a Thanksgiving parade with the Santa throwing the fish guts on everybody. Yeah, Yeah. it's all of these surprise Thanksgiving episodes. I get I mean, you know, it's november it's sweeps month they're gonna get you know uh they they want to make something special for thanksgiving uh but uh, and they need some big guests mm-hmm. and they got them oh did they yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, but uh but yeah i guess uh this this episode is also a big first for the series it's the uh the first episode uh written by dana gould who had joined the series earlier but it's the first one written by him the, uh, and then bob has a whole history on the guy that's right so let's talk about the writer for this episode dana gould uh henry i'm sure this is true of you as well this is probably the writer i know best as a person yes yeah we've uh, i think other than bill and josh they're the only simpsons writer we have breathed the same air as mm-hmm. as well yeah they trust us enough to be in the same space as them yes uh because so for me for eight years i listened to his podcast the dana gould hour which is not an hour long that's the joke it's it comes out once a month and it's like five hours long so like us he makes very long podcasts and uh you know as for me i uh really in my mind what put him on the map for me was his uh starring role as gex right yeah because it was just like starring tv's dana gould (laughs) so gex was a platforming game for the 3do i believe there are ports of it to other you know platforms there are a few sequels Gould is the voice of the main character. He's writing the quips with his friend Rob Cohen. I remember uh, playing at the Saturn port of it, like a couple after it was a couple years old, and kids you had to be there. Gex was very impressive to see. Like, wow, look at I can see individual scales on this 3D thing. But my brother and I, 
would repeat back to each other all the time the one canned quip that happened too many times like come on scoob let's get back to the mystery van <laughs> i had to hear that so many times and if you know Dana Gould, he loves referencing 60s and 70s tv shows yeah. and uh he was the perfect be- uh, guy to be gex and of course Dana Gould, he was uh we buried the lead here henry but he was the first guest on our first sketch fest live show back in 2018 so the first live show we ever did Dana Gould was our guest he was a great guest friendly guy lots of great stories yeah he really appreciated talking about simpson stuff with us he talked about this episode we uh, there's a couple funny stories uh, about this episode because he mentioned it when we chatted with him mm-hmm. and that mo is one of his is his favorite character uh and yeah he was very very nice guy and it was right after his uh, his tv series uh had been renewed for another season the uh, right. stand against evil stand against evil uh now canceled but went on for three seasons we'll talk about that soon so yeah i knew him a lot because of uh things he had been in before the simpsons he was like kind of a name for comedy nerds of the 90s oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't i didn't know any simpsons writers by names until the commentaries so i knew about dana gould before he was a writer on the show because if you were a comedy nerd in the 90s like me you were kind of aware of him by all the things he was attached to he was a rising stand-up star you might have seen him doing stand-up on tv he had an hbo comedy special which is what gex credits him with because he uh, had no tv show at the time okay that's fine yeah i knew him i i didn't have hbo then but definitely i remember seeing clips of him on comedy central mm-hmm. like i knew him as just and he's a very memorable looking comic like his delivery was not like everybody else's then he would make dorky references that i as a dork like and plus he had glasses that made him a nerd <laughs> too like all these things about him and he yeah. was on like dr cats and i remember yeah. his i remember his bit from that about like mistake mistake <laughs> yes. and he was a guy i mean he's been very successful but even he will admit like he never broke like he was one of those guys that people were trying to figure out what to do with him but i think his sense of humor was so dark and and weird that no one he was he couldn't put him in the box he wasn't like a tim allen or a seinfeld there was no way to market him to a mass audience yeah i mean his very specific style was made for more of a niche a perfect thing for today's stand up or well a comedy world where niches are are the only thing you mm-hmm. uh, go to nobody gets to be tim allen or jerry seinfeld anymore not anymore uh, i want to go over more simpsons connections so i mentioned rob cohen uh he's a longtime collaborator with gould he wrote those gex comedy clips with gold as well and uh rob cohen i mentioned this before in an earlier episode uh he is the brother of joel h cohen but rob cohen is also the freelance writer of flaming moe's we'll talk I... about him and his very interesting career when we get to flaming moe's uh, uh, just a couple months from now yeah yeah no that even though he's not a harvard guy he still had connections into the simpsons offices absolutely <laughs> yeah. so another connection from 2000 to 2014 he was married to sue nagel the former president of hbo entertainment yeah she is the namesake of Lindsay nagel i assume she's much nicer she was the one person at hbo that believed in game of thrones and greenlit it and uh yeah so uh sue nagel seems like a pretty nice gal yeah everybody they call the character sue nagel in the series because she was every she was a lot of the writers agent at the time like they knew her she's one of those people who like if you look in the background of of numerous executives in the hollywood world a lot of them are like agents who then had so many connections that went into there's an opening at a giant uh tv channel they just go like well you want to run it do you want to run it brandon tartikoff or whatever you know or michael ovitz (laughs) and then she's right up i'll never forget going to his stand-up in uh 2014 and uh Uh in san francisco and thinking yep normal 
night of uh, Dana Gould. And then I believe it was about five minutes and he's like, so where do I talk about the divorce? And he just goes like, guys, I'll soon have some really good divorce material, but I'm still workshopping it. Let me, I was like, oh, this is how I find out he's getting a divorce from the, the Zunagle. He brought it up on his podcast in a very funny way. He's like, oh yeah, the summer's been busy. It rhymes with Schmavorce, <laughs> what I've been through too, lately. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so his career goes back to the early 80s. So he's from a town in Massachusetts called Hopedale, which has no hope. And he lived like adjacent to a graveyard. He had a very dark childhood. But at the age of 17, he started his stand-up career uh, performing around Boston. Uh, he moves to San Francisco after you know doing a lot of stand-up in Boston. He moves to SF in 1986. By the way, we call it SF in the Bay Area. No That's one calls right. it San Fran. No one says no. San Francisco. We say SF. It's very, very simple. And certainly not Frisco. Nobody says No that. way. No yeah. way. So apparently in the 80s, San Francisco had a budding comedy scene. And he was here for a big chunk of the mid to late 80s in this thing called the Comedy Condo that a lot of comedy people lived right. in. Like uh, uh, Alex Reed, like the head writer of Malcolm in the Middle, and Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show. Or perhaps is she the creator of The Daily Show? She's the creator. Just the creator. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, she didn't stick around long and uh, was certainly gone before John Stewart came on. But yeah, she's the creator of The Daily Show. Yeah. But I know like people like Greg Proops were part of that comedy boom oh, in right, SF. Yeah. That's why he's in Nightmare Before Christmas, things and like that. he's still around here, I yeah. think. Yeah. And also why he's uh, in the, the Phantom Menace as well. Yes. Yeah, he's in San Francisco Institution. That's right. I, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, he goes from Boston to San Francisco, but then he moves to Los Angeles in the very early 90s, perhaps very late 80s, to pursue a career in showbiz. In fact, he has posted a picture he took with Jim Henson just a few weeks before he died because Gould was part of a pilot presentation Jim Henson made called Handmade Video, which was a very early stab at reality television. I had no idea that. Yes. Well, wow, I missed that. Damn. Uh, it was never aired, and unfortunately, the pilot was online, but someone took it down. But you can see Jim Henson's pitch on the Jim Henson YouTube channel. It's like, these things called handheld cameras are going to change the way we, we view things. And, yeah. you know, before when I was coming up, cameras were these big, heavy things. But now... <laughs> You can film anything. Yay. Wow. And that's how he pitched it to the audience. But this thing was going to be an early stab at reality television in which three people in a van drove around and filmed things. It was sort of like a Jack Kerouac style uh, storytelling. <laughs> of course, that's what that old hippie would want to do. And yeah. uh, uh, Dana Gould was one of the three guys. And Adam Sandler and Judd Apatow both auditioned to be Whoa. in this pilot. Yes. Holy cow. But this is the part of Henson's life where, you know, he was going to die. He didn't know that, but he was just like, <laughs> I've got all these ideas. I have to pitch them everywhere uh, and that's exactly what he did and a lot of those ended up on the Jim Henson hour which is just like the the home place for all of these like ideas that he couldn't sell to people that's where like Dog City was as well and like things that couldn't work for this storyteller yeah yeah, yeah. And by the way Henry I think that was a good Jim Henson and I was working that on was it. good thank that you. was really good but I'm, I'm asking for uh, uh, applause here was, everybody yes so there you go thank you thank you oh, thank you Henry uh, so <laughs> moving great. on one of his big early roles involved acting in a handful of sketches on the Ben Stiller show and from there, he went on to do guest appearances on things like Roseanne and Seinfeld and The Nanny and Ellen and Suddenly Susan and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Like, he was a fun guest actor on, like, a ton of sitcoms. Yeah, you know, that's so... Hearing all those uh, credits at the same time, I was like, oh, at some point, the r people who ran the sitcom factory were like, this guy's got it. Let's start with... It's like how you would see Matt LeBlanc on, like, seven other shows before Finally Friends, because it's like, well, do we try him on this show? No. Uh, let's try him on this show like these guys who who keep popping up in one-off things right before they finally get cast in a big show except unlike say Joe Rogan 
Dan or Andy Dick, who then ended up on news radio, like Dana Gould never got the thing, you know, uh, though I guess he almost sort of got the thing with a show that lasted more than a season. Yeah, uh, almost. Yeah. Uh, and that show would be the adult Fred Savage sitcom Working, yes. which uh, started in 97. Dana Gould played a side character for the first season. Uh, it was retooled in the second season and Gould was kicked out. The joke he makes is it was called Working and I wasn't. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes. That's a good joke. Uh, so that was his one brush with actually being in a sitcom and being a regular character on a sitcom. I believe I remember hearing him joke about how he also worked on a sitcom in that era with Neil Patrick Harris and that uh, when he was in the closet and he was asked like, oh, who's your dream girl? And Neil Patrick Harris names Ariel. And then Dana Gould jokes like, of course he picked the girl without a vagina. Huh. That's who he picked. That like, sounds like a Dana Gould yeah, joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know Dana Gould was part of several pilots. Uh, not all of them are listed. One of them, it seems like one of the first things he made was a pilot called Limbo Land, in which he was like the writer and possibly the star of. But it's not online, and there were like a million other things called Limbo Land after that that I couldn't uh, find out what it was. Hey, you know, that sounds like the kind of weird thing he'd be into. But yeah, I think it sounds like that they tried to fit him into like this mainstream thing, but he's just too much like of a weird nerd, you know? And one of the first shows he made was with Rob Cohen, who we mentioned earlier. It was called Super Adventure Team. It was a six-episode Thunderbirds parody for MTV. And Henry, if you look this up, like any frame of it, you might have watched it because it was very much, much uh, part of the whole like weird Siflinali uh, and like weirdo late '90s MTV programming. Whoa, yep, yeah, I recognize it right there. Though it, it, see, all of that stuff, any of uh, Thunderbird stuff, I just never, never like Thunderbirds. It's something that creeped me out as a kid. So whenever things were made that parodied it like this or Team America, they just like. Uh, skeezed me out i was just like yeah yuck I, I always found them very very creepy the yeah. thunderbirds but hey that was what he made it was the first show he made <laughs> you know we wouldn't have star fox the video game without thunderbirds that's that's yeah. very very yeah. true <laughs> so yeah after that he's just like well i can't make my own show so there's a show called the simpsons that's pretty neat <laughs> so he starts as a consultant on the simpsons with the first production episode of season 12 lisa the tree hugger and then by mid season 12 he is a producer starting with dave the jack and ape so he's writing from the very beginning of season 12 like Gould is in the show in the room pitching stuff I totally get why Scully would hire him. I mean, I, I think it's a good hire. And again, like back then, before I listened to the commentaries, I didn't know the names of writers on the show. I didn't really remember them. Like I was one of those more casual fans. But when Dana Gould got hired, I did know Dana Gould was working on the show. And yeah. and I can totally feel why he fit in there because it's a punchier, meaner time in the series. And on top of that, like Mike Scully comes from a stand-up background. And I think it was really important to scully like it's why george meyer i think too really moved up in the power structure under scully he just likes having like a funny joke pitcher in the room like this Absolutely. is just a fun guy to hang out with who then says like hey wouldn't it be funny if this and then they act out an entire wacky thing and mike scully is just you know laughing like all right writers assistant write that down that's gold it's all going in it's yeah. good as gold <laughs> that's what i say but i feel like they all like respected him there was no like you know struggle to get onto the show because he was a writer and performer on tv for a decade before joining the simpsons it's like oh yeah dana gould's hilarious he wants to write for us jesus yeah no, no, he's got nothing to prove to them yeah he's he's and he's not like in his 20s he's a very established person at yeah. this point i think 
think he was like 37 when he started writing for the show hey. maybe 36 but um yeah he worked on the simpsons up until uh, production season 18's husband and knives towards the end of that order and he's credited with writing seven total episodes but he worked on the show for eight years did not work on the movie although his time overlapped with the production and release of the movie okay i, I yeah i figured the the movie was more for like even though he would have been i'm sure a welcome addition to it but the 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 movie was really like the all-stars coming back together not the current day people got got as much to do on the film and he's talked a lot about leaving the simpsons he didn't leave because he wasn't having fun he's just one of those guys who is sick in the head and needs to do stand-up constantly <laughs> and even he would admit it he was like that job was too easy and i'm a weirdo and i need to do stand-up some stand-ups they need to do it yeah yeah i mean look hey it being on stage and getting a reaction like once you get that high of it even being in a writer's room with other funny people and making them laugh it probably can't can't come close to hearing like the approval and laughter and love like he's always i mean especially we know this about gould because it's his routine his childhood sucked and he didn't get much approval like who who wouldn't want to be on stage and then just get all that approval like thrown at you you know we talked about the story in which he presented his parents with a framed uh newspaper clipping of him winning a boston comedy contest he comes back to the uh the place his parents live there's a picture of larry bird in the frame (laughs) yes there now uh the the other joke he had about how like uh his father just came to hollywood and uh said like uh you know it's hot today of course all the queers around <laughs> and then his wife's like you gotta correct it and he's like what do you want me to say like he thinks it's hot because gay people exist <laughs> like what do you want i mean this episode homer the mo is also born out of child abuse like yeah. would you believe dana gould's dad is still alive Unfo- of course he's like 90 years old these mean rotten old men live he's- forever like john chris felucci's dad uh died really really recently yeah, and you would think yeah, with all the like uh, this mean old drunk will live forever on his anger and meat and cruelty <laughs> so so he left to pursue more stand-up as i said before other projects again he said like i can't believe i just walked away from a, a, a sure thing like i'm raising children and yes. i left a job he could still be there now he never came back not even to consult guys stay forever at the yeah. simpsons now you know? if you were hired in 1998 or later you're still there yeah. unless you or you're, you're greg daniels or something like that yeah unless you actually unless you sell a show and even then if you sell a show you might still come back two seasons later after that yeah. show's not around anymore uh the next thing he did for tv was consulting producer on parks and rec i'm guessing because mike scully was on the show sure, yeah. or they just like dana gould and think he's funny i could totally see scully was just like you know if we just bring in bringing gould like one day a week he'll help us with pitching new jokes like and just throw him throw him you know x amount of dollars for one day a week he'll show up like i mean also that I would think Scully took that practice from the Simpsons writer's room where he also is a one day a week kind of guy Mm -hmm. sometimes. The Simpsons will be right back. R.E.M. rocks the Simpsons. I told them it was a benefit. They think they're saving the rainforest. The Simpsons, all new 8, 7 Central, Fox Sunday. everybody welcome to the break i hope you don't think this podcast is weird for the sake of being weird because we legitimately want to thank our guest this week Stuart wellington a great guy from the podcast the flop house and be sure to check out that awesome podcast the flop house if you haven't yet also you should know that me and bob are only able to do this as our full-time jobs because of the support 
of people like you at patreon.com slash talking simpson supporters there get to know that they are supporting me and bob doing this full time and they also get access to every episode of talking simpsons a week early and ad free without any of this you're hearing right now plus they get a bunch of exclusive podcasts including each month they get a brand new podcast of talking futurama and of talking of the hill of me and bob doing the talking simpsons treatment to futurama and king of the hill once a month each plus over 120 previous exclusive podcasts of us covering futurama king of the hill mission hill the critic and 10 of our favorite episodes of batman the animated series there's so much cool stuff there please check it all out five bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons But if you want something as nice as a turkey made out of gluten, then you should sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons because that premium level of the podcast gets you not only all of the $5 things I just told you about, but also at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, you get the monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast. Each month we do a brand new episode of me and Bob digging deep into an animated feature film, often for over four hours, sometimes even five hours. Last month we covered Pinocchio. Tokyo, the 1940 Disney classic. The month before that, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. And of course, this month, who boy, it's one folks have been wanting to hear us talk about for a long time and me and Bob have been wanting to do, but it's such a big deal that it could only be done with a lot of planning. And that is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And there are over three years of what a cartoon movies before Who Framed Roger Rabbit that you could check out us covering Akira, a goofy movie, Lion King, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Beavis and Butthead to America, Kiki's Delivery Service, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, and so, so many more. Head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons today to check it all out And this history is going on very long. Let's jump to the present. Gould recently created the three-season IFC horror comedy show Stand Against Evil, which stars a character based on his dad that Dana wanted to play himself, but they talked him out of it. They're like, you don't want to be the star of the show you're producing and writing and and maybe doing a little (laughs) directing on. That is too much for you to do. John C. McGinley is also an amazing actor, and he's so... I I actually got to to interview Gould and John C. McGinley about this at New York Comic Con uh, in 2016. And Janet Varney as well well right yeah yeah and her too yeah, yeah. Uh, which uh, she's she's really cool she's been nice to us too uh but yeah at stand against evil john c mcginley is doing a great version of like a mean old asshole just like dana gould's dad and and mcginley is so serious an actor that i also was like when i interviewed him i was like are you being mean to me right now i'm a scared nerd like <laughs> i i just asked him there's this great bit in his first episode stand against evil where he sits in his favorite chair and he's got like one pillow and he keeps moving it back and forth behind him like really mad like he can't get it in one place and when I asked him about that he's like well yeah this one pillow it wouldn't get and you just want to get it right behind you and it's so annoying I was like wow he, he just is this guy I don't know where it's streaming but I didn't really watch much of it uh, it was like a really busy time in our lives it uh, was uh, yeah I, I I really only watched it for our show uh, our research purposes but what I watched I really liked it was really crazy that it be- 
became it was airing on ifc at the same time as the new ash versus the evil dead show when they're yeah. both very similar I, yeah it, it felt like a gift from uh, god that i just ignored completely <laughs> yeah and but, then they're both gone and then there's none of it you, you had two at the same time and we weren't watching it and now they're both over and we're, there's nothing but we were doing this and working full-time jobs it was very busy there's no time for dana gould in our lives no, now there's no. plenty of time yes in 2021 the stand-up comedy documentary joyride came out it's with him and bob goldthwaite it's also a story about how they almost died in a car accident and on the oh, stand-up tour okay and i hear that's pretty good and currently uh, he has kick-started a second season of his space ghost coast-to-coast style talk show hanging with dr z dana gould loves planet of the apes he loves playing dr zayas this character is basically dr zayas as a space ghost style character <laughs> yes. interviewing funny friends of dana gould's i don't get it but i'm not a dr zayas fan <laughs> i believe the first i saw one of the first times he did that character live on stage i think it was it yeah was at a um john hodgman live show in like i think it was 2013 at the sketch fest and john hodgman just apropos of nothing it was right after the first of the planet of the apes remakes came out rise of the planet of the apes and he he just introduced like oh and i i have dr zayas here and he comes out and for like a second i was like okay it's a guy doing an impression and then he moved the mannerisms the movement mannerisms of Gould come through and I go like oh my god Dana Gould yeah. owns a perfect Dr. Zayas costume. Dana Gould loves Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah this Dr. Zayas thing is basically just like uh, he's kind of like a Robert Evans style character and that he lived through all like the seedy parts of the 60s and 70s he's got all these stories about them mm-hmm. and Dana Gould is like a bottomless well of trivia about that just as we are for the 80s and 90s. Yeah yeah we the, there's a lot of kinship with him we we feel which was cool I yeah and it was it was so funny to think that I saw one of the first times he did it and now it's just like i think he regularly does and i i don't think he does anymore but uh with his wife he lived in roddy mcdowell's mansion right yes i remember the stories that that was very important to him to live there yes i must live in the old house of one of my favorite movie celebrities (laughs) but i mean that's it is his uh podcast just passed its 10th year it started in like february of 2012 uh he's doing very well i follow him on instagram he just got engaged to his uh second wife that's good wife to be i take it so good for him yeah things are going well for Dana Gould and you know uh, knowing him so well having listened to him uh, for eight years uh, for like three hours a month I can like I can identify a Dana Gould joke a mile away oh in this show yes yeah yeah. Dana Gould also I stopped listening to his podcast because uh, you eventually start hearing the same stories over and over again which is a fear that I have I'm like I know I've I've said this before but here it is again but it's like I I think I've kind of heard everything about Dana Gould now (laughs) yes yeah yeah there there's that I I also do think you know and one of my favorite Dana Gould Hour episodes is when he has on a trans comedian who talks to him about uh, his history of having transphobic jokes. And I think Dana Gould reckons with that pretty well in that episode. Not not that the episode is about forgiving Dana Gould or letting him like launder his previous material, but it was a good conversation with this person. But unfortunately, that is something I notice in his Simpsons episodes a lot, that this is before that happened. And yeah. This episode alone has two jokes that I'm like, mm, really transphobia there. Not that there weren't transphobic jokes on Simpsons before he was employed there, but I do see a marked increase in them in his time. He could have been a bad influence. Uh, I think he definitely was, but it was just like a, a new fun kind of humor, fun in quotes for yeah. the early 2000s. Like, we don't, haven't done these kind of jokes before, but I can definitely see based on his stand-up, based on the kind of jokes he used to make, based on the, the shock humor he specialized in, he definitely made that like part of his routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which, you know, again, it gets a gasp in an audience. It gets a reaction. I get it. And hey, if I had been, if somebody ever asked me questions in 2008 about these topics, I probably wasn't as intelligent about it or as informed as I have been in the last decade either. Like it's not, you know, people grow and change over time. I, I don't want to be too mean about it, but it also would be, it would be a lie if we watched these and didn't go like, boy, that's transphobic by today's standards. That's pretty bad. Why'd they do that? Yeah, you know? we, we have to comment on these things because yeah. we're just, uh, we're viewing it through the lens of today. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's an incredible career when you really think about it and that it, Dana Gould's career is so big that seven years on the Simpsons is just kind of a pit stop for the guy, which would be a lot of p- comedians or comedy writers biggest deal of their whole career is seven years on the Simpsons. Yeah. This, uh, it's just a pit stop for him. And it was weird to go over his uh, career and think uh, he's never starred in anything. He's never been like uh, the star of like Dana with an yeah, exclamation point. I'm sure yeah. there was like, I'm sure there were five pilots called Dana and he was like, you know, the main character Then they were never seen. <laughs> sure, sure. And he got paid like $75,000 for it or what, some ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. But uh, yeah, that is the story of Dana Gould. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Dana Gould's a funny uh, funny comedian. I, uh, Stuart, I, I don't know your your personal history with uh, with Dana Gould or his, his comedy. Like, uh, if you're you're a fan, yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly, it's a name that I'm familiar with, and I am sure that I'm familiar with a lot of his work, but. You know, I couldn't specify things that I like specifically, you know. <laughs> a lot of this episode is based on his uh, his cantankerous dad mm-hmm. and the fact that he and his friends opened a quote-unquote hunting and fishing club, which was their excuse to open a private bar, mm-hmm. which was skirting a lot okay. of liquor laws, but they were able to do it legally. And I guess that was happening a lot in their neck of the woods in Massachusetts. Yeah. I, I like hearing Scully talk about, too, that as well, Mike Scully, who also grew up in Massachusetts, saying, like, oh, yeah, you realize that when you're dad or uncle says we're going up to the lodge like that means just drinking not not hunting or doing anything else it's just drinking with your pals arguably the better <laughs> choice <laughs> and uh yeah dana Gould talks on the commentary a lot about how he spent a lot of his childhood in bars because his dad would say want to go for a ride and the kids would be like yay and then they would end up sitting inside of a bar with a bunch of sad <laughs> alcoholics <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, for me, it was like after soccer practice, we would all go to like a pizzeria that had a bar attached and the dads would sit in the bar for hours, <laughs> leaving us to like sit, eat our pizza and then be super bored. <laughs> That's why they dads pick pizzerias with, uh, oh, man, I didn't realize that. That's the secret <laughs> of those soccer games, man. It's a, hey, it's a good, yep. it's a good deal for the dads, uh, I guess, as long as, as long as there's a designated driver mm-hmm. but to get the kids home in that soccer van. <laughs> well, perhaps not back then. <laughs> I mean, it's also a very Dana Gould thing to take a um, sad episode from his childhood and wring comedy out of it. I think that includes that includes being a latchkey child at a bar around your hard drinking father. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I mean, that's that's a lot of his stand up, really. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, yeah, it feels like uh, when people come on the show and their fathers are notoriously cruel to them, Homer ends up being meaner. I was thinking about yeah, this today, yeah. where. It feels like Mike Scully uh, had a really cruel father, and so did Dana Gould. So, like, when they're both on the show together, Homer does get meaner. Like, uh, Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, who ran the show for season seven and eight and were on the show a long time before then, they've never said a bad word about their dads, ever. Yeah, yeah. Same with Al Jean and Mike Reese. So I feel like when the, the writer's dads are mean, Homer gets meaner on the show. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I mean, That's yeah, my equation. Al Jean uh, loved his father. I, I only heard him say nice things about him uh, for example on commentaries about
about like I think he mentions his dad ran a hardware store until uh, he passed away just a few years ago and he wrote a very like touching uh, eulogy for his father online and so yeah it's like I think I, I think you're correct Bob in that when the showrunner has a better relationship with their father Homer lightens up just a little bit <laughs> you know there's still some meanness there but he's not though meanwhile I think David Merkin's mean Homer is more just to being a sociopath it's not yeah. about father <laughs> issues it's that he writes Homer as, as a pure monster <laughs> in general yeah I can see that I mean there's definitely elements of like like he's always a little silly right and and obviously a little stupid but there is like the there's occasionally the threat <laughs> yeah the yeah threat that this monster is going to ruin these children <laughs> what well, I mean you know at the root it is like when he was invented in the uh, original Ullman shorts Mac Rainey was telling stories about his own Homer graining father who was not like you know a, a horrible monster but who would say you better cut your hair boy I mean you get grown out too long yeah. you're looking like a hippie it's uh it's at the root of Homer's character is interrogating a bad father son relationship the director on this one Jane Ke- uh, Kemmerman again I, I wish he's never on the commentary she's such an interesting person I think that you, you spotlight on Twitter bob some really interesting like animation bits in here that you know season 13 is uh the anything after season nine people don't talk as much about like great animation moments in simpsons but there's some really good stuff in here that like shakes up the normally very mm-hmm. strict rules of of simpsons animation but uh, but yes, this uh, this episode begins with the the family at the breakfast table. Homer is first reading the bridge column and then Drabble, the uh, the comic strip Drabble. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad someone is pointing out the absurdity of the bridge column and uh, just uh, as a kid being confused by it. Like, what what am I doing? Is this like a puzzle? Who who is south? Who is north? <laughs> yep. Yeah, my were your my my parents were really into bridge, and though it has been explained to me, and despite the fact that I play games, like I'm in the game, <laughs> I cannot remember any of it. I don't think anything more complicated than euchre can stick in my brain. No, my parents did not play bridge, and I I tried to look up the rules of bridge for this episode, just getting into like what even was this, but even that was too much for me. Yeah, it seems. Sure. The, the rules of bridge and playing competitive bridge was a plot point in the third season of Fargo but even then and I and I really like that thir- uh, that season of the series but I, it still could not make any sense of it even even with people as attractive as Ewan McGregor playing and I just could not uh, though though in that season they make him very unattractive intentionally uh, but, but no, no, no it's, he still managed to he and Mary Elizabeth Winstead still hit it off that season right oh yeah they yeah both, they both left their other partners to get to Uh, and uh, yeah I think I always uh, I remember reading the comic page and I would have a very very well thought out system for reading the comic page as a kid which was I read my favorites first and then if I you know I'm still like well these are still comics even if I think they're not funny I'll still read them (laughs) and and then once you're all out okay so I'm gonna need need examples here I'm gonna need I'm gonna need top tier mid tier and then well so of course Garfield and Foxtrot those are at the top for me I thought Uh, so yeah, that makes sense. And then you work down in the mid range, like uh, Luann, High and Lois starts getting a little lower. Yeah. Uh, Snuffy Rose, Smith, <laughs> Snuffy Smith, real the the bad stuff. But Mark then, Trail, save that for last. Well, that's the thing, Mary Worth, sure. Mark Trail, that stuff. Those weren't even funny. And and also when I'd read them, I go like, I know other newspapers have the Spider Man comic, which also sucks, but at least has Spider Man in yeah. it instead of Mary Worth. Yeah, we never got uh, Calvin and 
Hobbs in my local newspaper. Oh, oh of course. Calvin and Hobbs Whoa. is number one in mine. I'm so, oh, that's so sad. I had, to buy, you, the, I had to buy the manga at the bookstore. <laughs> I well, at least you bought it and you didn't just pick it up and then sit in the aisle reading it so that I can't buy a pristine copy of the manga. <laughs> exactly. I mean, bookstores today, they still exist. They're still littered with teens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just taking yeah. up space. Uh, and then, of course, the last bits would be, all right, I've read everything on the main page. Let's read Family Circus on the other page. Okay. Th- now- you'll think about doing the Junior Jumble, then <laughs> yeah. decide not to. And then right by that Junior Jumble, there's the bridge, and I don't understand what it means. <laughs> and it's just for... But I'll tell you what my uh, local newspaper didn't have. Kevin Fagan's Drabble. I did not have Drabble Same in my here. local comics. I, I don't know about you, Stuart. Did you you have Drabble? No, it's it's you know, it's rare to watch some what I would say pretty general pop culture entertainment that has references that I have no idea. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was too old, which is most of the references that I don't get nowadays. It's I mean, I feel like that was a pretty old reference. Like that was I was too young for something for a change, I guess. It was a 22-year-old comic when they made the joke. It's a 43-year-old comic now and and still Kevin Fagan apparently still draws it. According to the wiki, he draws it all himself with no assistance and has only missed one week ever in 43 years like due to severe illness hmm. the, the article said and yeah there's still wow. uh, <laughs> tip one out for that guy i mean come on <laughs> he's uh you know the drab- is it worth it is it worth it kevin uh, his name is kevin right oh kevin yes yeah, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> i no i think with drabble when i so i paged through some old drabbles on the on the web page and i was like you know what if i i read some 96 drabbles and it would have been a mid-tier for me it wouldn't have been like below it would have been above snuffy smith which was definitely my and even beetle bailey i bet i would have been like you know what i like this better than beetle bailey <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i guess you don't support the troops <laughs> <laughs> well with their sergeant beating them to to bloody pulps no i can't that's, there's rampant that's sexual true. harassment <laughs> happening on that base too yeah, yes yeah yeah <laughs> that more, horrible and more walker is too we've said it before but he's way too horny <laughs> that more walker he needs to <laughs> well he's he's dead now oh okay well yeah it's uh <laughs> Yeah, he dirt on his grave, I guess. Uh, and uh, and the father in Drabble, his name is Ralph. He does kind of look like Homer, or but I, I would guess really though that uh, I I tried to see if Dra- if Kevin Fagan had ever said what is that was this joke about the Simpsons? They ripped me off. I had a fat balding dad that they then had who's a dumb parent to three kids. I, they I ripped just, me off. I assume the Drabble guy was just happy to be recognized by anything. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, do you think he just saved a uh, videotape that has just those like couple <laughs> seconds uh, of the episode that he can play for friends when they come over? Yes. You know, he, he duped it. He sent it to family members, friends. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for all we know, the guy could be a, a, a Bill Watterson style iconoclast who's like just said like, no, I've I've been offered a Drabble cartoon once in 1984, and I told him no. This <laughs> Drabble is pure. <laughs> I will merchandise Drabble. It's classic it, Alan for yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, but the, the plot of Drabble is just this dad doesn't understand his kids and nagging wife, man, like and his mother-in-law, all the all the typical things you'd expect from a from a comic strip from 1979. Uh, but but then as, as Homer's complaining about Drabble, uh, we uh, in our first clip learn about Bart's new hobby. <laughs> what are you reading, homie? The bridge column. <laughs> oh, that South. You never know what he'll do next. Hmm. Oh, look at that dad in Drabble. He's like an unfunny version of me. Where's Bart? His Mountain Dew's getting flat. 
That's odd. He's outside digging. Probably digging for drugs. There's no drugs out there. No, of course not. It's not a school project. I'd have heard of it. I'd better go check it out. What are you doing? Digging. Why? Make a hole. A hole for what? More digging. Okay, then. Lisa slowly backs away. <laughs> the Scullier is a lot of slowly backing out of a joke scene of just someone very troubled, puts their hands up and walks backward. I mean, well, why is Bart Day? This, this apparently all comes from uh, executive producer George Meyer just saying, you ever notice how kids just like dig and just go like, you know what, I'm going to dig a hole. And there's, there's no reason for it. There's no plot purpose for it. As, as we'll see, it's just just meaningless digging. Uh, Homer apparently hides drugs out there. We learned in this scene. <laughs> I, I, I mean, when I when I was a kid, there was like a hole digging day that we all got just really focused on digging a hole, and the parents were getting concerned. Like, come on, kids, you can't dig any deeper. I think they were afraid we're going to hit a gas line or something. Mm, yeah, because yeah. we were like, we could probably make this hole pretty deep. <laughs> you know, if I ever dug as a kid, other than like at the beach, it probably was thinking, but what if there was treasure? You never know. Like that was <laughs> probably I saw some Rugrats episode of or no a Heathcliff episode about finding finding treasure in the backyard and thought that that could be me i just assumed i'd find like arrowheads and stuff like cool stuff like that yeah i feel like there's a dentist I, I grew up in the country so uh, like most of my days would be like spent walking around a creek or something like you give me a creek i will walk around that sucker <laughs> <laughs> uh, also drinking mountain dew for breakfast a joke but one many many people i've known live that life as well <laughs> they don't you, you start first drink of the day if it's not coffee mountain dew does the same deal yeah wake and bake yep i get it <laughs> uh and yeah I, I also like that they make lisa such a nerd that she knows it's not a school project because she knows all school projects and what they are in the school <laughs> it seems like a scene is cut but there's there's only one deleted seen in this episode on the dvd and it's not from this but it just kind of starts with homer saying don't worry marge it feels like marge had a line about being worried and mm. it just it, it's homer saying don't worry well, we got to make room for rem yes yeah <laughs> and uh homer tries to join in digging with bart uh and has a heart attack within like three movements uh and has, has a home defibrillator which that's a good that's a good joke he's that unhealthy <laughs> and that you know he uses it enough to justify the expense mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> It's... <laughs> you know it's cheaper this actually is very similar to a joke in uh it's just them taking it the next step farther and homer's triple bypass uh after his like third heart attack he says why don't i just have one of these and he zaps himself like so kind of a kind of a sequel joke there then they call in uh, dr kaufman uh call him bob call and uh and bart, bart says thanks bob which i almost wanted to make that the opening just so bob could be here thanks bob i want to be recognized bart. too just like the drabble guy <laughs> <laughs> Is this now? Is this a reoccurring character, or is this a one-off? I believe he's a one-off. He's not. He's not appeared okay. before, and I don't think he's been used since. There's certainly cause I for. Why. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, the show needs lots of child psychologists. The children in the show have lots of problems. Mm-hmm. That Bart says, my dad's always yelling that Whitey is keeping him down. That's a very, <laughs> very odd joke. I think for Dr. Kaufman, uh, much like I would think a therapist with a lot of the Simpsons writers, very quickly they're like, okay, and father issue. There we go. Yeah. Just write it down. <laughs> my God. Uh, easy, easily to deconstruct. They only bought uh, one session with this guy. <laughs> then we get a joke about digging to China, which of course leads to a joke about uh, Chinese people, all done by the masters of accents, uh, Hank Azaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
yeah, so we head up to a Chinese satellite. You know, I don't think it was great in 2001, this uh, this Chinese satellite no. Nah. <laughs> yeah. The and- only real excuse is that we find out there's a reveal later on that this is all being told by Homer. So we're like, maybe it's... Homer's just racist. (laughs) Unreliable narrator. I suppose it's just Homer's racist imagination. He does say, like, well, I just assumed they would. So, so fine. Okay. Then it's just that Homer's racist and imagines a Chinese satellite has a pagoda on it. uh, Dana Gould was saying this is him doing a bad John Swartzwelder impression, and I agree. Yeah. It's like, what if if things were wacky? Uh, I mean, it's it's a different flavor of that. Yeah. We we know that from other writers who say, like, well, once you start, you're just like, I'll just try to be, I'll write as funny as as John Swartzwelder on this. I'll, I'll have something wacky, but it's a tough, tough line. But I do like, not, I want to do the accent, but I do like how great, the great humongous says, well, I'm just saying, and then the response of, oh, you're always just saying. <laughs> like, that funny exchange. Yeah, really sick of his ego here. <laughs> no, and yes, Lord Humongous will appear in the next episode where they go to Chinatown, which also is full of jokes that aren't so great about Chinese people. Though you'll have oh, a enjoy it. Good luck. Yeah. Really sticking it to the Chinese in season <laughs> <Yeah>. 13. <laughs> Uh, but anyway yes uh it is then uh you know what i'm gonna play our jingle for it because it's all revealed that this strange act one is meaningless and has no point so first first let's hear the the classic sound effect i bet you didn't see that coming <laughs> and yes as our as our next clip reveals it was all a fake story by homer <laughs> those inscrutable americans What are they up to now? I will stop them. I am strong. I am the great humongous. We all know you're the great humongous. Well, I'm just saying. Oh, you're always just saying. Homer, is this story going anywhere? Yes, eventually I become king of the Morlocks. But Morlocks are from the future. You calling me a liar? Wait a minute, Homer. If it's true, what about all the stuff you weren't around for? Yeah. How'd you know the Chinese were spying on you? I just naturally assumed. That is the stupidest story I ever heard, and I've read the entire Sweet Valley High series. (laughs) I am sick of you drunks and your shaggy dog stories. Sorry, Shaggy. Oh, now I gotta go home to that. Thanks a lot. Oh, quit your belly aching, coffee boy. You're lucky I let you in here. Jeez, Mo, you've been a real crank lately. You take that back. Now, you see, that's what I'm talking about. You're always pointing that shotgun at us. And calling us dumbasses. Which we're so not. I like that very Chandler delivery by Carl <laughs> there, which we're so not. He knows he's on a sitcom. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, I think they were trying to troll people like you, Henry, who were uh, mad about the unrelated first acts. Yes, yeah. I mean, Homer yeah. did it in Tennis the Menace, which is where that clip comes from, but you didn't see that coming. Mm. But I kind of like the meta, the deconstruction of the unrelated first act, where it's like, where is this going? And well, it's just to get Homer into the bar so we can talk to Mo and set up that Mo is unhappy. <laughs> I, I like that it's just a pointless story poorly told by, by an idiot. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I do like that Homer that makes it why it's pointless because Homer's telling a pointless story that there really is no good resolution of like, well, what happens? How long does Bart dig? Does Bart find anything interesting if he digs? Like, does anything happen? And so better to just cut to actually Homer is bad at telling stories. And, and I guess, too, it turns into kind of just the writer's room of other writers shitting on each other's story pitches. <laughs> like, oh, well, this story doesn't even have a fucking point. <laughs> 
As Carl points out, Morlocks like, are from H.G. Wells' time machine. They're the, the future monsters. That, that's a good that's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, it shows that Carl is a well well informed mm-hmm. guy. But no, uh, so now that we're in Mo's bar, and also that, and we learn that Mo is a well read uh, he's a well read connoisseur of the Sweet Valley High books. <laughs> he's read dozens upon dozens of yeah. uh, tween literature. I've, I I took account of that. Uh, up to 1998, there were 143 Sweet Valley wow. High books and 38 side series, which based on their titling i believe was them chasing the goosebumps craze they're like ah by the late 90s they realized sweet valley high was losing to the scary book so it was like chilling tales sweet valley high Hmm. series so Isn't being a teenager scary enough, guys? <laughs> I don't need Fear Street to put ideas in my head. Thank you. Yes. So, Stuart, now we're in Moe's Bar, and I need to ask you, as a bar proprietor, how important is uh-huh. the dank? Oh, I mean, it's. I, I think it's kind of essential, actually. Uh, I mean, there there is, you know, there's that certain old beer smell. When, you know, the idea of the dank, I feel like, is that smell of, like, spilled and spoiled beer that you get in very specific dive bars you know when you walk in and that like it just kind of hits you like it's been there's been beer sitting in this wood for Mm -hmm. way too long Mm, yeah Yeah. to me the dank is not just the darkness it's also you're right the uh the general aged atmosphere Mm. the the stains the spills the smells (laughs) it all contributes to a good bar experience like if i spill my drink i won't be uh ruining the place (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's inviting to know that yeah it's like uh, ah what about peanuts on the floor kind of smell is that how how good or bad is that the peanut shell I mean, that's a little too Texas Roadhouse for me, uh, honestly. Uh, that shows my the, southern roots here, see. <laughs> sure. I don't know. I've always been suspicious of any of places that leave, like, that have, like, peanuts or any other, like, free salty stuff on the bar just because I'm like, who else has been sticking their hands in that? I'm not talking about, like, garnish, although I've definitely seen people, patrons, like, try and reach into the olive bin in Oof. the garnish tub, and I'm like, what are you doing? Boy. Uh but yeah, like there's something about like communal snack bowls that I'm not I'm not into. What about you guys? Yeah, I don't think any bar I've been to uh, has served peanuts. There was one bar in college that would have just like uh, giant garbage bags full of peanuts uh, <laughs> hanging off the walls. And when I was drunk enough, I would eat out of those. But I now regret it, knowing like whose hands were in those. Uh, you know, with the peanuts, mm-hmm. though, you're shelling it. So it's not like other people's hands were on the inside of the peanuts you're eating, mm-hmm. you know, like. Compelling point. Well, in my though, meanwhile, yeah, uh, yeah, I I was never much of a peanut eater at bars, but also I'm not like a snack on. Look, if you have free peanuts, I wouldn't like. I'd be like, sure, okay, munch, I'll munch on a couple. But it was popcorn, loose popcorn was at a lot of of my Mm. uh, early twenties bars, and I would enjoy it. But yes, now um, I I guess the last uh, two years have recalibrated my thoughts on like why did I put my fingers (laughs) through all of this other food that other people were doing in a bar together mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> as long as you rinse yeah, the popcorn I, I've, I've worked in, i've worked in places that do popcorn and i would come home after an eight-hour shift stinking of popcorn <laughs> for good or ill depending on my uh, company oh well look i i worked at a movie theater and yes that was the popcorn stink right. uh never has gone away from me i wouldn't i would not it's rare i i order popcorn ever if uh, if my husband wants popcorn at the movie they'll be like all right let's do it but i i'm kind of a rare popcorn order myself but sure now now what about calling uh patrons dumbasses or putting guns in their faces that <laughs> probably not done too much in your bar <laughs> 
It's not done very much. We're we're generally fairly nice, although there. I mean, you'll get those bar regulars who who uh, will see any attention as good or ill attention is still attention. So there are those customers that like when they're being a dumbass. I we have to tell them they're being dumbasses. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's deserved. Uh, that's um, a good policy. Yeah. That's that's part of that's that's part of it luckily there's you know there's the good patrons who are like uh i remember one of my favorite uh customers who's now a friend of mine the first time he came in he tipped me an extra 20 dollars on top of his normal 20 percent tip because he's like look at some point i'm gonna be an asshole i'm like thank you for understanding this <laughs> wow so you are the opposite of mo he's it's never a... been an asshole though oh wow uh, th- so this is very opposite of mo's empty barren tip jar <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the wild thing is I'm like, these are blue collar dudes. In my experience, they're the best tippers, hands down. Mm. Not rich dudes, but like the mo- money pie blue collar guys who just put 20s down and like they're the best, mm. hands down. No question. This, they buy drinks for each other. They, they generally, you know, stick to bottled beers and shots. They're the best. Hand, no question. Man, that's good to know. Wow. I, I, uh, this, this shotgun thing in Homer's face, this, they were really into Mo pulling out his gun, like <laughs> in, uh, in the parent rap, which, uh, was a few episodes ago. Mo literally robs Homer at gunpoint and says, that's right. I rob people now. <laughs> and then also in worst episode ever, when Homer and comic book guy enter the bar, ba- uh, Mo blasts a guy, like just actually shoots right. him on screen. Uh, for <laughs> I forget why he even did like he oh he brought in Sacagawea dollars and right, paid with right, them. Yeah. that's why he shot the guy like on screen so well, he's got a history with guns he turned seven guns into one gun or whatever that, that joke was that's true and shot that robber in the spine yeah as well yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean there's there's a fair amount of guns in this episode yeah which uh, I mean that the like rifle at the end <laughs> Mo getting shot at the end from from the tales of Dana Gould's childhood, it's the uh, gun ownership was a normal thing then, and yeah. So, okay. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and uh, Mo also has a hideous smile, even grosser than the one that he had in Pygmalion uh, for his big uh, f- photograph. The sound of it stretching back in his face is <laughs> uh, is wonderful, and then also the great line of like, "I ain't smiled for real since I nailed that rat with that ice pick." <laughs> Which, uh, I I would guess not many rats. In your establishments not enough to and, and, and you wouldn't dirty up an ice pick with it with killing <laughs> i mean i'm obviously well we don't we don't have an ice pick uh, uh the we're not one of the we're not that fancy of a place that uses old-timey uh instruments to prepare their ice but the uh yeah i mean we're a bar in new york so i'm assuming there's there's rats but i don't see them uh and we have an exterminator and we don't have a rodent problem we did <laughs> during the middle of the pandemic we had i think it was i think it was a mouse it might have been a rat like in the middle of the afternoon we had the door open we only were allowed to have people in the backyard and in front of the bar not inside because it was you know still uh, COVID protocols and this I, I think it was a rat ran inside and I like shoot it out with a with a umbrella I think I like <laughs> like scared it out it ran outside scared some other customers ran back inside <laughs> jumped over the bar and then ran behind a fridge and it took me from there I had to like move all pull everything out of the fridge to move the fridge scare it out and then like I chased this thing I think it took me like two hours wow uh, and eventually it, we, we managed to capture it and get it outside and it ran away very wet, 
but very much alive. But it was it was two hours in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. Uh, <laughs> that's the kind of adventures you get when you're <laughs> running a bar. I think that rat was ready for a ratatouille situation. Just get in your hair, help you make drinks. <laughs> I think it was honestly like it was. I feel like I'd be a much better bartender if I had a ratatouille. <laughs> Although I don't know if I'm cool in a hat. I mean, I guess I'm gonna have to try. You have to wear hats all the time, people. <laughs> I feel like your friends would probably be distrustful of that. Like, what's why is he always got a hat on now? It doesn't make sense. I've known like old school bartenders who were really weird about bartenders wearing hats behind the bar because they claim that in the old days if the cops saw a guy with a hat on behind the bar it meant that somebody was robbing the place because no bartender would wear a hat but a robber would wear Whoa. a hat I'm like that is a wild reason to be mad about hats but okay that is a, that is a crazy uh, cop <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> and uh, so Mo is has lost his mojo and he's he's thinking about finding it. He remembers his old Swigmore College, which a great line about like uh, oh I just put it up recently and it's a good thing too because I did because it really illustrates my point. <laughs> Swigmore is apparently based on the uh, the New York College Skidmore, uh, which I think is a liberal arts place. The the most famous alums are uh, recent uh, stars like Zazie Beats of Atlanta and uh, John Burns all of uh, the punisher and walking dead fame hmm. wow very attractive people yes yeah there's there look there was there's some unattractive people too are like the president of like a credit card company or whatever but i i stick i stuck to the movie gross stars. what yeah. an uggo <laughs> <laughs> I also really, I do really love the line of Lenny and Carl and Mo all searching for words uh, like, oh. What's you know? the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah. That's yeah, <laughs> really great. <laughs> so then it's time to decide who is going to run the bar in our next clip. Uh, who am I kidding? I ain't smiled for real since I nailed that rat with the ice pick. <laughs> Remember that? That was an amazing throw. Uh, how did I lose my passion for the job? When I was in bartending school, I thought I had the world by the jigger. Hey, where'd that painting come from? Yeah, I put this up recently, and it's a good thing I did, because it really illustrates my point. Yep, good old Swigmore you. Gee, uh, when you talk about that school, your voice fills with, uh, what do you call it, human feeling. Yeah, maybe you should, uh, what's the expression, go back there. What's the word I'm searching for? Uh, yeah, a trip to the alma mater might really rekindle my love of getting people loaded. But who'll run the bar while you're gone? Ooh, ooh, pick me! Pick me! Lenny! Oh, pick me! I'm an urban Lenny! Look, I don't want to start a tinkling contest here. Or do I? <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, don't look so proud. That was wind assisted. I could not say the word pissing. Yes, yeah, it had to be. The sensors made it be tinkling. Oh, okay. They, uh, they all competitively pissed in a back alley. That's what Homer's up to now in season 13. <laughs> competitively pissing with Lenny, Carl, and Barney. I guess uh, now that Barney's sober, there is no Barney guarding job at Moe's. That's true. For yeah. the duff delivery. <laughs> but when did Barney get sober? I think it was it was season ten or season eleven. And, uh, it, it won't last more than another year or so. I think Al Jean's gonna have him relapse soon because, as shown in this episode, they're actually like surly to like we want to write him drunk. This is boring to write a sober guy. Like it was like got his hair combed properly. Yeah. I, I guess though, actually, him being sober makes it more disconcerting that he seemingly has a relationship with this dog, uh, like in a <laughs> like a romantic sense. <laughs> Seems. Odd. 
God. It could be emotional support animal, you know, uh, getting him through his uh, addiction. Yeah, yeah. Do you allow emotional support animals Maybe. in your bar, <laughs> Stuart? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like that's kind of the only way we can allow animals in the bar is if people if people bring a dog. Uh, it has to be a because because of New York laws, the only time you can bring an animal in is if it is a uh, you know a, a, a service dog, a working animal. Right, it's on the clock. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> and we're not allowed to like. Ah, we can't be like, oh, what's your disability? Like, <laughs> so if somebody says that it's a it's a like you know it's a support animal, we have to allow it. Duh. It's the only way we can get around the health department. <laughs> I like that line about it's how people talked back then, and I think probably even now in casting of calling the Len- having Carl say Urban Lenny, which is like that was the code word mm-hmm. in casting of like we're going a little more urban, or we you know this is a little too urban for us. We uh, that 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 was the Hollywood code word back then. After this, Homer wins via I guess the, the wind blew his piss slightly farther than the other guy's piss. <laughs> That's a great description of that plot point. <laughs> so, <laughs> I kind of wish I think this would have been a more interesting obviously like Homer's the main character he's the guy who's going to get put in charge of the bar but I think it would have been a funnier plot perhaps if Lenny or Carl were put in charge of the bar and Homer has to sit in the background going like I should be in charge of the bar me <laughs> the, the main character I think it would have been an unexpected and more interesting twist in this case you know Lenny did a good job running the plant yeah that's true work he told harder. everyone to work harder and <laughs> then right. just put his feet up <laughs> Instead, they leave it to Homer, which also the the end gag in this uh, act is like, oh, this is why Mo should never have done this. Like Homer will explode your bar and waste all your beer the second you leave. Like, I love him saying, like, no, Mo, you've got it all wrong. People buy beer from you. What a great. <laughs> uh, yeah, the idea that he's pouring the beer out and that that is costing Mo money, which is not unlike I have definitely known uh, bartenders and other patrons who were like, if if I pour myself a drink at the bar, they're like yeah you can drink here for free and i'm like well it's not free <laughs> i'm still paying for it is uh is your stance to tell people to go to hell if they want to buy potato chips or something like that at the bar uh absolutely that's the first thing i say is i say go to hell and then <laughs> i provide them with a road map which is stenciled on the side of a shotgun i point in their face uh no the yeah, I mean, we carry. I think we we had to expand our food program significantly uh, when COVID hit because of rules from the governor. You weren't allowed to serve alcohol unless you served a meal, which did not include chicken wings. Chicken wings were not a uh. meal. Which- I mean, we weren't selling chicken wings anyway, but uh, so we had to expand significantly. But it's uh, kind of it's still kind of a learning process for us because my wife and I. Uh, who own the bar are, do not have a restaurant background. At the very least, you can open a bag of potato chips and just go like, here you go. Have my gab. But Mo, I like that Mo doesn't seem to understand you'd make more money that way if you were to sell people <laughs> potato chips instead of refusing to do that. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's funny that later Mo will learn the lesson is that it's not that he's bad at running a bar it's that he lost his passion it's like no I think he is very bad at running a bar like, this is a misdiagnosis of Mo's problem here he's just, yeah he's just a mean old creep yeah. uh, so act two begins with Mo driving back to Swigmore and uh, there's two things like uh, uh, Jane Cameron and Jen Cameron and her team uh, they were very smart in their reusing of old ass 
assets and also of continuity. Uh, Mo, he's driving in his broke down pickup truck, which he calls Betsy, last seen in Homer's Phobia. Hmm. So it is the the correct pickup truck. They remembered Mo's had, that's what Mo drives. And uh, I, I do like the gag that Squigmore College is not just a place where you learn to run a bar, but also is a bar in all ways of like it is saloon door gates and that it has a gag clock that it's always five. It's time for drinking. <laughs> I like that. And it's a party yeah, school, but it's great. also right out of the paper chase. Yes. Yeah. Which so I've never seen the paper chase. I only know it from references and like tons of comedies like Mr. Show has probably the perfect paper chase yeah. parody of look to your left, look to your right. And just all the commandments of like, when yeah, he will jump out a window and commit, three of them will commit suicide. Meanwhile, cuts back to the bar. Homer's doing a bit better this second time. He he cleans the black and white TV into a color one, which that's a great joke. <laughs> I really like that. That uh, Originally, Mo just had a black and white TV because, you know, in 1990, it was like, yeah, that's kind of an old thing in a bar. But I can see in 1990, there's maybe a bar that hasn't upgraded to a color TV. By 2001, feels a little weird to not have a color TV yet. Like, would it even play? Would he even play the channels, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, and so, yeah, the uh, the Carl, Carl is ordering bottle duff, which uh, it seems like most everybody else is a tap guy. But Homer's opening up the bottles with his stomach, a pretty impressive trick i don't know how how easy that one is to do if that's a classic bartending trick uh i've known enough uh bartender i've known bartenders who open you know with their bicep and i've known people who have gotten belt buckles that have a bottle opener but i've never seen somebody use their stomach to do it Mm. (laughs) i don't know if i'd want the beer afterwards no yeah carl has no notes on it he's like yep this isn't gross gonna eat drink this put this right to my lips now homer (laughs) (laughs) yeah i also love that homer is going to allow an outside food the first he looks at the photo of mo with his shotgun (laughs) And I love that he's like, oh, he's not here now. Turns it over and it's over with a thumbs up in the reverse. That's a good joke. I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I like I like that he has that North Star in the bar of mm-hmm. Mo with a shotgun. <laughs> and uh, and outside food or drinks, you know, they see why Mo actually was right to ban it because Lenny is such a cartoonish klutz. He hits it into the ceiling fan and it blasts everybody. <laughs> Which uh, that that's probably one of the biggest dangers of outside food in a bar, right, Stuart? <laughs> Well, what I will say is that when, like, if a large party shows up with outside food, I would say easily nine times out of ten, they make a big fucking mess. Mm -hmm. And they leave, like, birthday cake all over the place. Uh. Yeah. So maybe maybe simpsons is on <laughs> and then they finish the meal and then do a coyote ugly parody and it just makes the bar even dirtier uh it just makes it dirtier i'm like stop it stop it you don't even work here <laughs> it's still a good reference uh the co- yeah the coyote ugly movie uh yeah it's it's about hot girls that dance on bars but they but they are not strippers they just dance in provocative ways i believe is the the story of a coyote ugly bar and that which i it got franchised not long after the movie that just feels to me like you're on the subway and it's showtime yeah, and it was inspired. <laughs> sorry Stuart, go ahead it also i mean it was in, i'm just saying it was inspired by a couple of bars in the village that my friend i have friends that worked at those places and yeah it was it was like that uh you know dancing on the bar but not and getting hammered uh <laughs> but not you know and uh like doc holidays and 
Oh man, there was a couple others, but yeah, and those of you're not you're not baby bird shotting people anymore, and in, in the COVID <laughs> protocols. Oh, yeah, <laughs> not as many belly shots, I would guess either. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's uncommon. You you have to, yeah, you have to put a dental dam on somebody's stomach before you do that. <laughs> that takes all the fun out of it. Yeah, I though you know yeah, my. <laughs> my my first thought was that it was a full Monty parody. I think you too, yeah. Bob. That because it's, it's just a bunch of ugly guys dancing. Is this was yeah. like oh full Monty? Then yeah. I realized oh wait, Coyote Ugly, another <laughs> movie that's kind of forgotten. Yeah, which mm-hmm. you know, and I think the full Monty thing too. When I associate with dancing in bars, it's because the Drew Carey show in their parody of Full Monty danced on a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was mainly where they danced in the Full Monty or the Drew Carey parody of it. Uh, then uh, it's a, it's a cute little joke that they are playing woolly bully at first and then it changes over to chicago's color my world which they then uh, start slow dancing with each other they're just like they understand it means it's time to slow dance <laughs> if you pull up the real version of that song they cut out there's a minute long instrumental before lyrics kick in in that chicago song like it's very i was when i pulled it up like okay let's hear this song i never really listened to it i was like man when's these <laughs> lyrics kick in already it's crazy Every song from that era was just building space for a DJ to talk about, you know, the weather, upcoming <laughs> concerts, uh, contests. They were trying to help the radio industry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Slow fade-ins, long fade-outs, yeah. Uh, then the record skips, which uh, I, again, compliments to the animators. First, all of their dancing is very well choreographed. Like, you you might not think of it, like, choreographing four people dancing at the same time and then drawing it is actually very hard to do. You can't just, like, go like well, you just draw it four times. Uh, and then when Homer acts like Fonzie... I think I remember it every time. And then every time I see it, I'm like, wow, there's so much more blood than I remember. It's so characters yeah, don't in a non in a non treehouse characters do not bleed that much. Like that's that's shocking. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, hemorrhage Amundo do not become Homer's new catchphrase. Uh, it's so it's so good, though. It's just, I do love his blood dripping left hand. He goes, hey, and just passes out. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of uh, kind of predates uh, a similar joke in that movie, The Nice Guys, by a few years, right? Where Ryan Gosling like tries to punch through a glass uh, window and uh, just ends up cutting himself really bad. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and uh, and so yes, then it turns into the paper chase as Mo uh, briefly goes into his bar and and yeah, I you know what I couldn't name what a Cosmo is made out of, even though uh, it's a, v- a very simple cocktail from uh, the description of it. Vodka, triple sec, cranberry juice, and a freshly squeezed or sweetened lime juice, according to uh, to the IBA uh, listing on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a, just a splash of cranberry juice for color. Okay, see, I am a very simple girl drink drunk type guy, as as we've said on this podcast <laughs> before. I'd, so it's just like cra- cranberry. What's your, what's your go? To, what's your go to cocktail? Well, cranberry plus vodka is usually it, or or uh, oh, or okay. or orange juice plus vodka. That's a lot, a lot of a lot of driver, mine. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, easy Bob, well drinks what's, too. What's your what's your what's your cocktail choice? Are you a teetotaler? I, I'm not. I, I normally don't drink cocktails. I kind of just like stuff on the rocks, straight. But if I do get a cocktail, it's usually like citrusy, like a Paloma or something like oh, that, sure, yeah. or a Hemingway. Okay. Yeah. I used to be a big beer drinker, like a big IPA guy. And then uh, I realized that they were not making me feel good. <laughs> so I switched. I drink a lot of like tequila and mezcal on the rocks, but for cocktails, man. I just love a Negroni, like Hmm. very simple, nice and bitter, 
because you know I'm sweet enough, guys. <laughs> it's true. But <laughs> uh, Bob is uh, Bob has helped me in the more straight whiskey in a tumbler kind of style, like as including with a birthday gift of of uh, my own shot shot glass for measurement on it. Uh, oh, that's great. Is, yeah, I'm more of a straight whiskey guy. It's called an enabler, Henry. And that's yes, what I'm doing. And I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a professional enabler. It's okay. Uh, but yes, I mean, boy, you get all the way to to Swigmore College and you don't know that uh, there's no grenadine in a cosmopolitan like that. These kids all should get out of there. <laughs> get out. Uh, but yes, we do a quick cutaway to Bart doing his first crank call in a very long time. Like they dropped it for Bart doing it. He stopped it in season four. Other people will call, call Mo with it, but they very actively ended it in uh, in could, New Kid yeah. on the Block. Yes, sorry, yes, Bob. Yeah, the New Kid on the Block. Uh, though other people have called him, but I think of if they're having to make up a new thing a kid uh, for Bart to do, Ollie to Booger. That's not a bad one, you know. That's not. That's uh, it's not quite a, a huge as, but uh, you know, these are hard to write, which is why they got rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. And it, you know, it gets in the scatological zone instead of like the homophobic or, or sexual zone of like Oliver clothes off or homosexual. Like it's just Amanda hug and kiss. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amanda hug and kiss. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the, and I like the joke that Homer doesn't get it and it makes it no fun. Like that's good. He immediately, unlike Mo, he immediately recognizes Bart. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. really great. He's like, Oh, Bart. Thanks. Like, yeah. Uh, so, then we cut back to Mo talking with his old professor. Uh, he references a film I had to look up, Iron Weed. I, I've never seen it. it. Same here. It It is a film about depressing drunks. Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson play a pair of drunks. And Jack Nicholson is a, a man who is drinking to avoid his past where uh, while drunk, he... Um, accidentally killed a child and he's trying to he's also a homeless guy uh, he got a bunch of acting uh nominations in 87 for iron weed but but so that's the joke mo watched a very depressing film about alcoholics and he's like i want to become a, i want to become a bartender <laughs> that's the life of me yes <laughs> I can't think of that many movies about like bartenders that aren't also depressing too. Like even cocktail, like Brian Brown drinks himself to death. Hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, you know, I've heard that Barfly movie's pretty. It's got to be fun, right? That's got to be a happy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what's uh, with this anti-bar sentiment in Hollywood? Yeah. What the hell? I don't know. I mean, it's you know, it's just an like I don't know. As speaking as a bartender, I don't only want to be uh, depicted and. Uh, fictionalized through trauma so if you can avoid that Hollywood please <laughs> you know the the Shaun of the Dead and uh, and World's End like those those make pubs bars they look fun they look like great places to just you know hang out and drink at the, the end of times the, the, they make them look nice <laughs> but okay I, I actually I, I'll give I'll give you partial credit there because I think while they I think bars and drinking in the in Edgar Wright movies do kind of symbolize like you know regressive almost like male behavior yeah i mean i i still think that there's a there's still a positive experience mm-hmm. they look like good hang zones i guess is what i'm saying you know it's where yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hang zone. and also you know good for barricading yourself against you know the zombies so it's it's sure. it's useful too the living dead, yeah. and and as well like good hang zone might be my uh my next bar that i open i'll just title it <laughs> like the good hang zone <laughs> 
And you know what? In Shaun of the Dead, they count on there being a shotgun there. You know, mm -hmm. that's actually very important True. for them. Like I, I said before, the fancy professor, his love of Mo and his misdiagnosis of like, no, it's your crap hole bar. Like you're you're uh, you're not ugly and hate filled. It's that your bar is bad. It makes you worse. Like, but though the saying of nice hole, nice soul, that's a good <laughs> that's good. I like that. <laughs> but but then comes uh, quite a moment for the series, which uh, I've got the, the clip right here. Describe your tavern in one word. Uh, is crap hole one word? Yes, if it's hyphenated. Then I'll stick with crap hole. Well, no wonder you're depressed working in that environment. If you want my advice, beautify your hole and you'll beautify your soul. Nice hole, nice soul. Hmm. Look at that pond. Why does the water sparkle so? I'm dying, Mo. Is... is there anything I can do? No. Unless you have a cure for cancer. Do you have a cure for cancer? Cause that would be great! <laughs> I'm sorry, Professor. Goodbye, Mo. Bye, Professor. <sighs> hey, don't you want to take your shoes off before you go swimming? Professor? Oh. Oh. Um. Hmm. <laughs> I forgot that we hear his la the last air escaping his lungs. Yes. Uh, yeah. And we, we had Dana Gould on as our first interview for our first live show we did uh, four years ago. And he said after this episode aired, or perhaps before, uh, James L. Brooks, one of the big founders of the show, came up to him and said, you know, 13 years, never an on-screen suicide. Until now. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a great escalation. Yeah, uh, it's a great escalation of a uh, like sincere dramatic scene that immediately goes into Crazy Town, where the man is desperately begging for a cure for cancer, and then just saying, "Well, I guess I'll just walk into this pond." Oh God, that's so. I mean, also the exchange of like you know, in a movie scene like this, a character would jokingly say like, or you know, in dark humor, not unless you got a cure for cancer. But then he's like. Do you have a cure for cancer? Because that would be that great. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. But yeah, it's uh, they. It was a real turning point for the series to have an on-screen suicide in a non-treehouse uh, episode. Which Gould on the commentary says he always takes credit for it, but it's actually George Myers joke mm. he admits to on the commentary. But watching a man walk into the water and not come out, it's like it's just so so very dark, and it works even better because the animators drew the pod to look beautiful, like unnaturally beautiful for the show. Like the reflection yeah. on it is so great. Yeah, and then the ghost shows up later in the episode so clearly he didn't serve yep he's the he, really, he just he chose drowning in his beloved college's pod rather than uh, the waiting out the cancer the it's uh, very horrible yeah that's why i wondered like hey wait this is a a mo episode where he doesn't uh attempt suicide because they did they did self-harm jokes quite a lot with mo in this era but clearly they can't do it because they do their big suicide joke with his teacher in, right. instead of him maybe this scared him straight for a bit 
it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and also in that same thing, uh, Gould told us like, yeah, Moe's his favorite character. Like he loves. We we had asked him like, okay, who's the most pathetic man in Springfield? And he's like, it's got to be Mo, and he's my favorite guy to write in the show. That's why my first my first episode is a Mo episode. Which we should also note the title of it, Homer the Mo. Yes, it is a gay joke. Hmm. It's saying Homer the Mo, meaning homosexual, calling him a Mo. That's the that's. The oh joke. no. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, I didn't know it had two meanings until you pointed that out. <laughs> uh, but hey, speaking of homosexuals, we head to the bar and <laughs> Mo's getting it re for redone by Formico. I do love the Stuart. How how often do you sing your way to work? Is uh, <laughs> that that happened a lot in the bar business? Sure. I mean, it makes sense because Homer's pretty new. But once he's uh, once he's been bartending a little bit, he stops singing. <laughs> <laughs> I I love Homer singing what he's thinking, and and yes, he thinks teens are destroying the bar. Uh, and I do think it's pretty cavalier of for Michael and Mo as they re they change up the look of the bar. He is throwing things out the window towards the streets, like <laughs> it's pretty pretty aggressive. I, I Homer's not wrong to and make love, an assumption, and I love that. And they're removing those uh, those like stained glass windows, and I love those like. He, you don't see those enough uh, and they're so great. The like stained glass windows, uh, yeah. the diamond pattern ones they have. Oh man, those are great. It's sad. It's a, it makes it even sadder to see it destroyed along with his, his old TV. <laughs> Homer mm-hmm. again, great animation on Homer beating the shit out of Mo. Like Thinking, you so, dirty teen. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> just uh, just going like, hey Homer, smash, 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 smash. Homer has to realize that it's Mo breaking Mo's bar, and he he can't understand it. Uh, and it's revealed that it's being reformatted by Formico, which I really like that George Meyer on the commentary. He's like, yes, this is a very broad gay stereotype for even 2001. We <laughs> we weren't winning any awards for this guy. Uh, Gould directly compares him to Alan Seuss's characters from Laugh-In, who, who was a gay performer on Laugh-In at the time, who did very broad characters. <laughs> That's why he's got uh, his neckerchief on, which uh, no gay man in 2001 I don't think was wearing a decorative. Probably not. I don't think so. <laughs> I do always enjoy Homer's stage whisper. He yes. seems nice. <laughs> that feels like a Dana Gould <laughs> statement as well, that he just says that to other people. Uh, we cut to the dinner table and Homer's feeling sad. He's no longer uh, in charge of a bar. He, he misses the power. I love Bart saying, like, just leave the bottle. That's a great line about milk. I like that. <laughs> just, you, I mean, Stuart, you, you'll agree with me. You can't trust a patron with an entire bottle right you're, you're not that trusting that's one of my favorite like movie or tv things when uh somebody's sitting at the bar and just asks to leave the bottle because i'm like how the fuck would i calculate that like <laughs> how am i going to charge this dude uh, I nobody, get, nobody does it. i guess that you well if someone says that you just say okay i'll just bo- sell you this bottle then i guess if that's what you want like you you own this bottle now but then i have to do the math of it like what am i going to charge for like this percentage of this bottle and like considering the markup etc etc like it's just too complicated (laughs) it's like hey look i'll pour you a double that's what you say like i can't i can't leave yeah of course (laughs) uh if they're asking me to leave the bottle i would pour them a single and then keep an eye on them the whole night uh and, and bob you on twitter showed what a great smear it is as homer like rushes over to like the animation smear on homer like rushing to to freshen bart's drink that's really great and 
And I also love the the big hacking cough they animate on Lisa with a cigarette in her mouth. Like it is pretty shocking to see Lisa with a, a lit cigarette in her mouth. Like, yes. I, I kind of want that animation cell out of context. Uh, well, yeah, that's you, great. You know, in this era, it's about being cruel to Lisa, as we'll learn later in the episode. <laughs> and uh, and also, Stuart, yes, have you have you told people you can't sleep here? Have uh, have, have you been given that instruction? Yeah, of course. I mean, I feel like night. Uh, as a nighttime bartender you especially in like a neighborhood spot or any spot you have to deal with people falling asleep at the bar all the time and you gotta say can't sleep here although i've known bartenders who had like a regular who would be like a big dude and they would uh they'd be okay if that regular like if it was late and the regular like kind of fell asleep on at the bar if as long as his back's toward the window so that people (laughs) think like oh no that's a big security guy in there Uh... rather than like a big Teddy bear, my man. Um, and that, in that case, that's kind of fine because it's like you know it adds a little bit of you know false security. But no, of course he can't let people sleep there. This is this is a wacky story. I went. We once had a bartender. We went in to check in on a bartender. It was nine o'clock at night, and the bartender was asleep in the bar. Whoa! What the? And when she, when my wife would wake the bartender up, she was like, she's like, uh, my my wife asked, uh, taking a nap. And the bartender's like, I'm trying to, but you're bugging me. And she clearly was like, I'm acting her children were waking her up from a nap. It was a crazy experience. Wow, man. Do you have the standard uh, pot of coffee brewing behind the bar like most bars do? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, we we, we sell coffee, but it's for the staff. Right, we, right. you got to have coffee. Sorry, buddy, you can't sleep here was also used a lot in the Simpsons writer's room by George Meyer that in the late rewrite nights of uh, shows, people start falling asleep and you just got to tell them, hey, sorry, buddy, you can't sleep here. (laughs) As Dana Gould told us, Scully didn't keep them as late, I think, because he was the first showrunner with a child. So he actually did want to get home at like seven. With an entire family. Yes, with actually a lot of children. Yeah, adult, uh, like teen girls even. Yes, he. He didn't. He didn't want to miss their lives just to rewrite the same joke eight hundred times. <laughs> Think of all the complaints it generated. Uh, and so, yeah, they were, he, his reasoning was probably like, no one's going to pour over every single joke of an episode over the course of a, a podcast. <laughs> no one's going to make their living complaining about us <laughs> and how he could have improved. So yes, the uh, the bar has been redesigned. Uh, Homer and his pals head over there. Just uh, the M on it looks to be the M from the M and M's bags as well hmm. for uh, some for nice syrups. Oh, yes. yeah. uh, apparently, it's based on the W Hotel in New York, and I know there's one in San Francisco. I've been there for a few events. And Dana Gould based it on this because he didn't know if he was in the bathroom or not because it was just basically a waterfall coming down the wall. He had to wait for someone to actually start peeing before he <laughs> knew it was safe that he could start peeing as well. But yeah, I've, I've been in that place. I've felt very out of place as I go to my uh, my old video game appointments when I was back in the Games Press. Mm-hmm. W Hotel. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't know you're staying in a fancy hotel unless you cannot figure out how to use the bathroom fixtures <laughs> it has to be like three seashells level demolition man shit for mm-hmm. me to know that i'm staying in a fancy place <laughs> and, and apparently the cartoon eyeball thing or the the eyeball stuff is like based on a the, the saint martin's hotel in england that they had stayed at hmm. as well for like some events so these these are all like very chichi bar things like uh, that they're they're putting in this here but i i like homer again he's trying to do 
there's a lot of jokes in here about trying to pitch ideas for stories that are rejected by other people, which I feel is the writers. <laughs> uh, like Homer just putting out there like, oh, <laughs> yeah. couldn't you just see aliens run to the bar? Couldn't you? And everybody just leaves them, ignoring, ignoring the premise he's throwing yeah. out there. <laughs> but I definitely think there's a thing that Dana Gould loves to do and he's very good at, which is um, he feels like, you know, he's from Boston. He feels like the regular guy in Hollywood. And he, definitely a lot of his comedy is driven by being surrounded by the opulence of Hollywood and thinking these people are dumb. Like, this is stupid. Like, look at all these people in their trendy clothes. And certainly all the jokes inside this bar are what comedy nerds who write on the Simpsons feel like at a fancy Hollywood party. I am certain of that. Mm-hmm. Which I think so. I've, I've, I've felt tangential feelings like that at fancy parties myself. <laughs> people complaining about their very specific micro niche diets that they're on. And- mm-hmm. Their, their Botox problems. but uh, And also, yeah. uh, Gould probably uh, did a favor for a pal here with uh, this bouncer design. Yeah, based on uh, Greg Nicotero. He's been on a bunch of episodes of Dana Gould's podcast, but he's a special effects guy, uh, director, writer. I believe he's acted in a few things as well. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a uh, student of Tom Savini. He got his start on Day of the Dead uh, on Romero. Yeah, if you look at his credits, it's like, oh yeah, he does great uh gore and zombie special effects like he's he's basically worked on the walking dead for a decade at this point and directed multiple episodes and also in the in a lot of the tarantino films that have like the best blood effects uh he usually was the the oh, special cool. effects guy on that like in death proof or uh hateful eight which is like all blood the not to spoil the movie but the third act is, or the last third of the film is just blood everywhere <laughs> explosive blood yeah. everywhere not to spoil this uh quentin Tarantino movie but it gets violent yeah (laughs) the way that one head explodes in that movie has haunted me ever since it should have been called blood everywhere (laughs) me and bob saw that in 70 millimeter together it was quite a treat yeah with the intermission and everything i watch it on netflix (laughs) (laughs) you know that four hour version of it's pretty uh it's nice i keep waiting for the i think that's the version i saw i think that was the one that went up on netflix yeah yeah yes yes i think they have the regular version on there too but like it's like yeah just like basically four episodes of a tv show on netflix i think they were threatening to do that with once upon a time in hollywood but i haven't heard it uh, like when it when the movie was new but i haven't heard of that actually happening yet with the uh with for the expanded version because the, the tarantino i also this is tarantino talk time i <laughs> i i think after oh, tarantino talk sure but i think after his his editor uh his his great editor passed away uh sally benke like he his movies get way longer and i'm not even saying like i think they're not good not as good because i i did really like hateful eight and once upon a time in hollywood but they're like so long and just like uh, i feel like a more aggressive editor could get them under two hours if 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 tarantino wanted to but at his age i don't think he does i think Mm -hmm. he's like nah this should be four hours like you're the the this two hour 40 minute long version that is the edited version of it but yes greg nicotero uh the basis for cecil which uh Cecil is a girl's name. It's Homer lets him know. So yes, we head inside and uh, and Mo welcomes them to the new bar in our next clip. Welcome to M. <laughs> so, what do you think of a new joint? Wow, this place looks like it's from the not too distant future. Yeah, you like it, Homer? Um, the rabbits are cute. Yeah, that one ain't moving. Uh, change number seven. I don't get all this eyeball stuff. Uh, what are they supposed to represent? Uh, eyeballs? It's Pomo. <laughs> Postmodern. 
Yeah, all right. Weird for the sake of weird. Oh! oh. Right. Where are the bar stools? Up there. Ain't it trippy? Uh, whatever. Just give me a duff. Oh, we don't serve duff no more. We got a Malaysian beer that's better than duff. It's made out of soy sauce. Uh, whatever. Just give me a duff. Albert <laughs> does not understand that there's no duff to be had. Though then after he says that, there's an animation error that instantly makes his, the beard is a duff. It's a green duff bottle in, in Mo's hand. Uh, but You know, this is much better than Uncle Mo's family feedback because Mo has a staff. Yeah, you know, and he needs the staff backing him up here. That's true. <laughs> Man, the, you know what? One thing uh, that hurts this uh, very ritzy bar is that there's a freaking NRBQ song playing in the background oh, here. I couldn't place it. I assumed it was NRBQ. It's It's a song called everybody's smoking that's hmm. the the secret i learned now uh, I, i'm stealing the techniques bob learned for discovering other deep uh, hidden nrbq songs in here is that mike scully who is a big fan of the uh, honestly obscure band nrbq who put them in many episodes uh-huh. he often picks the line in the song that's the uh, name of the song so they have the character the, oh, the line in the background is everybody's smoking and the song is everybody's smoking okay so, so another yes. hidden nrbq song yes yeah another another payday for nrbq now another bar question for Stuart. uh the bars around yeah, here absolutely. even the divey ones they don't have like budweiser or miller lights or your you're just you know your common midwestern grocery store beers so people come in and say i just want a bud and they don't really know how to help them they say well you can we have a lager we have a pilsner do you have a do you have a solution for that do you carry the the normie beers for people uh yeah i mean we're we're a neighborhood bar and there's i mean i think there's a trend and a business practice for like gentrifying establishments that in intentionally don't carry products that they don't want to cater to a specific crowd whether it's specific brands of liquor or in the case of beer like maybe people are like they're trying to drive people to buy more draft beers as opposed to like packaged stuff mm. because there's a better markup on on draft beers but our places we carry you know we carry miller high life we carry bud and budweiser uh, i don't carry some of those on draft because i don't agree with the business practices uh, of ab imbev the anheuser-busch company and a couple of the other big distributors but we still carry their the bottled stuff so that we can have like shot and beer specials Hmm, cool okay that's nice that's uh well and what about nothing soy sauce based i would guess you're selling (laughs) that does Uh, sound kind of gross (laughs) i mean i feel like i'm like that's the sort of thing that i would probably buy like a case of and try and slowly sell but i like you know like i try and buy like i like i like weirdo beers and i like (laughs) uh you know to have a couple like oddball sours available or like you know triple ipas that the the beer snobs can have uh in in my i'm sure somebody would buy that soy sauce beer i'm sure (laughs) i try it actually in my in my research of alcohol meat soy sauce i did learn two things one there's apparently i mean there's a cocktail recipe for everything but the official like kick them on soy sauce website has a cocktail recipe for like make but basically it, it sounded like kind of a mule and then you put soy sauce in it and also i found out that naturally brewed soy sauce actually is two percent ish alcohol like or below the limit that makes it you know that you you 
don't need a liquor license to sell it uh but but in a naturally brewed soy sauce is actually in some dry countries is illegal like you can't have it because it's like even that small amount of soy sauce they have to get the non-natural soy sauce there so alcohol based on soy sauce not as silly as Hmm. this joke would lead you to believe (laughs) yeah yeah let's 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 uh, squeeze a bunch of packets into our mouths and get fucked (laughs) (laughs) if i you know if uh, the set i had 17 year old friends if they had known that information they probably would have done it. they would have all died (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know they're 17 they can take all that sodium at that age (laughs) you know what but honestly why would you do that when the cough syrup is readily available back Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. it's like why the good stuff you can you can just soak a rag in gasoline and put it on your face although nowadays that's pretty explosive (laughs) (laughs) inflation (laughs) uh but uh but yeah this this definitely is you know how some of I've, I've felt at a party of being put in a dark corner or just like, oh, I, like for Michael turning, like unscrewing the bulb under them and putting a velvet rope around them. That's a great joke. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then, of course, uh, yes, Russian models are ugly and mannish. What a funny gag. What a great joke. Very, very good. It's 2001, yeah. everybody. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, I, I don't like these jokes. They turn, they've, they've, they weren't good then. They've turned even worse now. It's uh, Mo not understanding. Uh, I did laugh at, though. Okay, and yes, uh, penis look. is Russian for. Look, that line is a that's a funny <laughs> line. If, if you separate it from yes, the yes. transphobicness of it. Yes, it's just <laughs> blend blank is russian for because he doesn't want to believe she has a penis which would of course be disgusting and worth hating as mo would uh, uh, I, I hate that joke <laughs> yes but the yeah, delivery yeah. uh and is this the first appearance of the mo saint cool character the mo saint cool version of mo or oh yes yeah this this is his first reinvention and it only it only lasts for uh, about an act and a half <laughs> And this, I mean, okay. I mean, too, this definitely comes from like, I've, I've seen Gould do good jokes about that, too, about just like, oh, yeah, when your friend turns into a Hollywood phony, like, this is what that's about. It was just like, oh, now they're getting set up with supermodels, but only Russian supermodels who are, of course, not attractive enough. Uh, uh, <laughs> so mean. Uh, the oxygen bar stuff, that was a real trend, along with smart drinks of mm-hmm. the 90s are uh, how I, I'm not as up in the scene. I would think oxygen bars aren't probably around all that much these days i saw them in vegas but i i haven't seen them outside of las vegas yeah they're pretty rare this was the boom time for them uh but now i mean they still exist you can still do this if you want but uh you know it's it's kind of <laughs> like pseudoscience <laughs> And when they when they said that Woody Harrelson was an owner of one back then, it reminded me of like that and hookah bars. Both just seemed like a wink from like you know stoners of just like yeah, it's an oxygen bar. Wink, like of just like if you, if you go there, you'll find a person who will give you pot. Like hmm. you like that. That's what I always felt it was really about. Uh, I do I do like the animation of Carl getting the bends on a beanbag chair. That's very funny. Yeah, <laughs> and also creative design run amok. That's a good line too. So, Lenny is stuck in that uh, in the hamster wheel. That's a great one. Meanwhile, Homer seems to actually need to be on oxygen at all times. He's that unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think back to the opening where Homer 
digs for you know three strokes and then starts to have a heart attack so that even in his stories he is uh he is horribly out of shape but he's on death store you know maybe that story's true now actually since elmer was telling that <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even uh lord humongous or whatever he's real uh, sure. but yes uh the, in, our, in our next clip the boys get thrown out of the bar after chernobyl my penis is falling off and penis is rushing for... Well, we want our bar back. Yeah, this place is crazy. All these beautiful people make us feel like losers. <laughs> yeah, you'd be having a great time if you'd stayed in your dark spot. Oh, so you're ashamed of us. Well, you've turned into a big phony. Hey, nobody calls Mo St. Cool a phony. All of this yelling is taking away my horny. It's, is it? Oh, well, that's it. That's Dagmar, Julian. Throw this bum out. I'll throw myself out, thank you. I believe I had a hat. Suckers! Homer stealing that hat's pretty Somebody great. brought an old-fashioned fedora to uh, M. <laughs> I could see it ironically being put it there. It makes sense, yeah. <laughs> I I do like Moe's disappointment that she's losing her horny. Like, he's like, oh, you are? Oh, all right, that's it. Like, he's like, that's the last straw for him. You um, know, actually, now that I think about it, this is the third Moe uh, bar makeover. Uh, there's Flaming Moe's. There's a family feedback. There's this. There will be more in the future, believe it or not. Oh, man. It's a, it's a well they return to. Uh, how's, where's he getting all this money for this? You know, I see uh, just good yeah, long deals. Like, did John Taffer show up or some shit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder if there was a bar rescue episode. There has to. Yeah. There has to have been a bar rescue. I well, I, mean, I know Gordon oh, Ramsay's God. been on the show. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. In the aftermath of the Fame and Feedback episode, uh, they, they go over like, what about all that money you spent, Mo? Mo? <laughs> I'll never get that back. <laughs> that was your problem in the first place. And now I gotta. I'm double checking my memory that Gordon Ramsay was on The Simpsons. Yes, yes, he was. Uh, he was in a 2011 episode along, along with uh, the, oh, Anthony Bourdain and Mario Batali. That's that's sad for two different reasons. Mm. That's uh, depressing. Yeah. Anyway, would, it is one of those things where you'll be watching an old episode of the. You'll watch an episode of The Simpsons on reruns, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, Elon Musk is on here? Oh fuck, I don't want to see that guy." Yep. Yeah. And it was a loving tribute to him, too. <laughs> he was, he's a great genius yeah. who Lisa looks up to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think they know better now, at least in the, in that one specific instance of, of Elon Musk, perhaps. But Sure. Though then again, I mean, this episode uh, in its third act, you know, the word star fucker gets thrown around a lot these days. But <laughs> I, I do think Simpsons, <laughs> they open up the door. If, if you're famous enough, I would say, hey, if R.E.M. Uh, comes up to me, I'm being much friendlier to them than, uh, than Elon Musk that's for sure like yeah, they're, I mean, they're, yeah, yeah i like them much more yeah <laughs> but they even admit on the commentary they're like oh yeah this pitch came out of a hunting club it's basically uh 90 seconds of the actual plot of act three is this hunting club thing yeah <laughs> but uh but yes homer is going to build his own bar out of spite which i agree with you know running businesses based on spite is is an important thing to do it's life. got us this far yep yeah <laughs> it's a huge motivator <laughs> uh and also i love Homer hanging up a urinal plumbing free on the wall with one nail. That's pretty great. <laughs> Basically a fancy bucket for people to uh, to pee in. 
One thing that I've learned a significant about uh, signi- a significant amount about has been plumbing. I feel like plumbing is one of those things that I'm now fascinated by, and I feel like in, if things had been slightly different, I should have gone to plumbing school because <laughs> plumbers plumbers always got work. Basic concepts of plumbing are not going to change very much. You're always going to need them. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. You people... kind of set your own price. <laughs> people will always flush paper towels, no matter how many signs you hang up. <laughs> I wish I could tell. I had time to tell you all of the horrible plumbing stories <laughs> I have, but I do not have enough time. Uh, I also love Marge pointing out. And normally, they give these kind of lines to Lisa, but it's Marge pointing out running a bar is a full time job, and you don't even do your full time job. That's a great. Yeah, we don't see Homer at the plant in this episode. <laughs> nope. You just descend it up. You know, Stuart, I was curious, how is it to balance, you know, a podcast job with with running a bar, is, uh, as, as Marge points out? Uh, well, um, I think it, it's ups and downs, honestly. Like, it requires a certain amount of flexibility. Like, before the pandemic, uh, it was, I was doing a lot. And then during the pandemic, uh, especially once we reopened, I was there all the time. Mm. And it was a little easier because we weren't, like, traveling at all for the show but now we have enough staff and things have kind of settled down that i'm able to do guest spots on podcasts hey. my show luckily my show is uh you know all i have to do is watch a bad movie every other week and then we talk about <laughs> it so it's you know it's simple for this joke about the robot uh, begging for legs from his father. I feel like that therapist at the start of this episode would have a lot of notes on that. I think <laughs> having having a robot say "Father, give me legs," and then Homer shaking his head back well, at him. I was like, I, I think that therapist would have some uh, some questions about that joke. <laughs> Homer learned from Itchy and Scratchy Land uh, how to make his robots work. <laughs> this robot can't at least mm-hmm. talk. You know, he built a smarter robot than Linguo that Lisa also builds. It's the robot building season of the show here. <laughs> I do, and I do love the like nine volt batteries trailing out the bottom of this uh, robot. <laughs> and just him looking back for some kind of sympathy. Yeah, and Homer, and Homer has nothing, nothing for him. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, Homer's building his bar. We cut back to Moe's bar. It's just full of jerk ass phonies who are just talking about their diets and and also I think this phony is a real super phony. I mean, this is such surface level, like uh, like uh, comparing Crusoe with a hurt song it's like that is the most like surface level like film nerdery there is not even going beyond the criterion collection for these references yeah i know yeah no that sucks that's the kind of (laughs) that's the kind of stuff all over here while at the bar listening to tinder dates on their first date (laughs) and And, uh while akira kurosawa had passed away uh, werner herzog would later be a guest on the simpsons more than once Mm -hmm. so we i i'm forever jealous i am we were so lucky that me and Bob, we got to go to a Simpsons table read. We right? did. I've never heard about this on our podcast. <laughs> but but I'm very I'm very jealous of a of a acquaintance of ours who also went to a Simpsons table read and her, will and Werner Herzog wasn't there. It's like that. It was. Hey, we got to meet Kevin Pollock. We did get to meet Kevin Pollock. Yes. That oh, was Kevin Pollock. <laughs> and he was very nice. What yes. a nice guy. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, and though Kevin Michael Richardson, the nicest guy, if we're and Yardley Smith, second nicest. If we're ranking niceness of celebrities we met, who were all nice and great. No Julie one... Kavner was very rude to me. <laughs> I didn't say anything uh, no, to Julie Kavner. No, she was actually very nice. Uh, uh, yeah, but but anyway, yes. And then 
<laughs> I uh, I also think that uh, very ADR line of that guy talking about his diet. I wonder if it was a the guy's drawn very gay. I wonder if it was another gay joke that was there Could've instead. Been. But Botox jokes very new at the time in 2001. I think so. You know, that's mm-hmm. uh, and and cell phone jokes because there's a cell phone joke coming up. Yeah, that I think it's very accurate acting on the way that guy points at his cell phone. Like I think that's very good. Like mm-hmm. that is how a person being rude on their cell phone at a bar being more rude to the person who's trying to end their phone call very good acting of that like it was once a faux pas to be on your phone in a public space not anymore no 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 i've heard people blame the kardashians for taking it to the next level of like well you're on your phone and your phone's on speaker in in public not just not just a loud phone call but the but it's on speaker phone as well i just don't understand people that want to be on the phone me too like people that are like waiting in line at a store and they're on the phone like, oh, this sounds like two of the worst things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people that will just FaceTime uh, like you're just at a cafe getting a coffee and someone is just sitting down and FaceTiming, not even like a business meeting because I'm listening to everything they're saying <laughs> and in line. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I was on a beach in Puerto Rico and I watched a woman FaceTime for an hour and I was like, first off, awards to your arm strength. <laughs> and second off, what battery do you use? <laughs> Man, yeah. How are on FaceTime? That is crazy. Yeah. And then uh, Mo tries to turn on the game. Uh, and that's, I do love the line, unless you're being ironic, turn that off now. <laughs> like, that's that's a great line. Uh, too ma- okay, I'm a nerd. I'm a huge nerd. That's why I'm doing this. Uh, too many bars play sports. My favorite bar recently closed in December. Oh. Uh, they play Turner Classic movies on their TVs in there, and I loved it. I, I have watched so many movies in that bar. Uh, it was great, great, great uh-huh. choice, I think. What Do they play them with sound? Uh, uh, closed captions were on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. What, uh, yeah, what is your bar programming of choice, uh, Stuart? Well, we uh, we have a projector that in the back room of both of our bars that we don't pull down very often. And we also have TVs that are covered with chalkboards. And we kind of only pull it out for like special occasions or for, uh, as again, for RuPaul's Drag Race, which uh-huh. we show at the bar regularly. <laughs> I find televisions uh, to be very distracting when I'm at the bar. And we try to provide a space for people to not have a television to look at, basically. Hmm. Uh, you know, as a patron at bars, I uh, you mentioned that projector one. I really loved it. One that would be playing um, Godzilla films. It was playing seventies Godzilla films, but it actually made uh, it was a, a bad thing in the end because I literally could not carry on conversations with people. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yep, uh, and just turning away from them, or or just saying, oh, let me explain the end of this battle against Mecha Godzilla here. You see, this actually is a recut of the previous one uh, that they they're doing this here. Like I, not that I'm Mr. Godzilla expert, but I did do know some trivia and, uh, I think it would probably be better if there was no Godzilla playing, I mm. probably would have, you know, made more human connections <laughs> with the, with my friends sure. there. Yeah. Stuart is trying to help nerds find new things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You make me think of the time I was at a bachelor party at the Brooklyn strip club pumps, which is great, but I spent a large chunk of it watching Kingsman to the golden circle without sound. <laughs> it was playing on the team behind the stage <laughs> which i feel like for the makers of kingsman that's like the ideal way to watch <laughs> that's, like, that's well, high praise for kingsman too yeah like, better than naked yeah, women that's dancing for you <laughs> uh but yes mo is losing faith in his new bar in our next clip hey game's on hey! 
I'm watching that. Come on. Unless you're being ironic, turn that off now. Uh, I'm glad you ain't around to see what a mess I made. Oh, but I am. What? <laughs> You've discarded your loyal regulars for a mob of soulless snobs. Well, at least the tips are good. Are they, Mo? Take a look. <laughs> hey, why are you mocking me? We're friends. Oh, right. Sorry. I won't drink it most. Homer's old garage is all I need. I won't drink it most. Cause Mo's a big jerk and a she-male too. That calls for another beer. I keep. I thought this was gonna be your bar. It's a family bar, right kids? Can we go to bed now? As soon as you finish cutting up those lemons. But you're not even using them. She's so sweepy. She doesn't know what she's saying. <laughs> Aww. So we're supposed to like Homer, right? I guess so. Yeah. You know, I... it, the lip sync is so off on their I Love Rock and Roll parody. It feels like it was something else. Yeah. And I don't think it was worth the change. Which means like the quote unquote she joke was like, that was their goosing it or like oh let's improve it and add that to it like that's man it's just shocking to hear that word just said like there's there's yeah not trying to tap into the harry potter fandom (laughs) yeah 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 i i I mean like hey we all love joan jett it's a Mm -hmm. good song but i don't think uh and also homer is so jerk ass here he's making he's torturing his family with this like you said bob it's it is a parody of abusive fathers of writers of the show so that's why homer becomes like an asshole making making people cut lemons for no reason (laughs) that are not put in beers like they're just opening beer cans together that's all it is (laughs) yeah and also like we cut way more limes than lemons i don't know what they're yeah yeah what they're doing yeah wait a minute man that's uh last night i i made some nice uh tilapia and as i was cutting lemons Mm -hmm. i was i was thinking like you know what this this isn't so hard lisa shouldn't be crying about this well she's eight and she has school in the morning yes yeah no i I, I, (laughs) but but okay here is where the big deleted scene comes in uh oh wait no sorry that previous scene i did want to say mo's big wah is so great i love a big wah and then i was gonna ask you about it Stuart, but you already said it like trendy jerk ass hipsters like these guys they are bad tippers apparently Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean you know there's it's it's a mixture but yeah i mean i would say blue collar is definitely the best when it comes to tipping Mm, maybe not politics conversations (laughs) exactly but at least i'll put a five in the jar you know that's a... uh, at least, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like. I mean, Moses is just empty. When Homer gives him a dollar at the end of this, I was like, I know, I know, prices have changed since two thousand one, but even then, a dollar is a pretty low tip for for your bartender. Then, yeah, everybody who's listening, tip your bartenders well. It's a it's a lot of work. Absolutely, <laughs> but yeah. So there's a big deleted scene here. In the background is the Devil's Advocate uh, pinball machine, first seen in season 12's Insane Clown Poppy. Uh, uh, which is one of my favorite jokes of that era of Homer saying, if I could play devil's advocate for a minute, and it cuts to Homer playing a pinball machine called devil's advocate. A good joke. Um, uh, so the deleted scene is, in the original version of this episode, when Mo loses his faith uh, and is going to reformat the bar, he goes to Homer's place, and they're just drinking together. Lenny is playing devil's advocate. Mo interrupts and, and tells him this bar can't be this. Like, that's illegal. And 
and the hunting club thing is all brought up. All of that is there, and what there isn't is any REM. They aren't there at all, and this is full color animation, which means REM came in like two months or something before they say on the commentary rm came in late but if they have full color animation for this entire sequence they really came in mm-hmm. late that means they made a big very expensive decision to include rem in this episode not a different <laughs> episode which well they're such an nuts. organic part of this plot i know it's <laughs> it's so ridiculous <laughs> that that rem just shows up but just to uh, it's in, uh, including it as the deleted scene really lets you know like no there's a version of this episode that could have been broadcast without rem in it and it will work the same which that is not normal for an animated mm. show which usually plans things out much more in advance than that and they didn't let rem play any of their new material they had a new album out in may of uh, 2001 yeah, with some big hits yeah. on it that i don't uh, recognize at all but they were there in, instead they go they go with the obvious i mean you know what's your first guess on a joke oh homer's bad at singing the lyrics to the end of the world which we're all bad at singing the lyrics to nobody knows the words to it it's uh, it was all going around back then uh, but yeah i mean hey i love rem they they are a great band with good music i like hearing their songs i like michael stipe i like the other guys in it they're they're fun guys yeah better than elon musk yeah absolutely <laughs> uh they make a funny note too that they did not draw in their old drummer bill barry who uh was famous for his giant eyebrows that's hmm. the uh the, the guy did but he he uh in the late 90s he had been out of the band since 97 he had a brain hemorrhage on stage that uh he recovered from but uh, led led to his retirement believe it or not hmm. and so uh every time after that they just went with session drummers usually or like you know they had their touring drummer but they didn't fully replace him in the band they make a point of saying that they did not they're like oh you know we could draw him into the scene and rem turned that down they didn't want him in the scene. wow <laughs> uh but you know since then uh yeah, yeah. animation is for people who don't have brain hemorrhages <laughs> <laughs> you know since then they made up enough that they that he was present for their 2007 hall of fame induction uh and at a 2018 benefit concert rem reformed except for michael stipe like it was everybody but stipe in the band was uh at some benefit concert and played together so you know they're friendly enough that bill barry guy like uh, but especially like yeah if i had a brain hemorrhage and i was already making you know money off of rem's hits from the last like 10 years i think i would just become a farmer in uh, in, uh, in rural georgia <laughs> as bill barry has done uh, Stuart, would you allow rem to play at your bar especially on on no notice <laughs> and they just showed up uh well uh <laughs> i mean it would go against our lease agreements but i mean it is rem so that's uh i mean i would probably direct him to like a friend's bar that can have live music <laughs> but who knows i mean i remember when my wife was uh used to be behind the bar over at her bar charlene's jimmy fallon would come in uh with his staff all the time and he would always beg to be allowed to plug his uh his ipod in <laughs> uh and, and they would always be like okay fine just don't come behind the bar and he would always end up coming behind the bar and they're like stop it 
<laughs> I would agree to it if REM at least said they'd help me pay the fines. I was mm. like, if you agree legally to oh, pay, yeah, yeah. pay the fines later, then you can do it. That's that's okay. Well, that, see, you're a better better businessman than me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, REM very unnaturally, un impossibly is playing in Homer's bar. Homer lied to them and said it was a benefit. I do like uh, them saying, like, come on, would a poor person have a bar in his garage? Like that, that's good. <laughs> and I did have a friend who would take the Lenny line so gotta pee huh like that uh, he, he he wouldn't do it standing next to you in the bathroom but mm. if you were if you announced you were like hey i have to stop playing this video game to use the bathroom so gotta pee huh and <laughs> that that would be used uh, occasionally <laughs> i think of the three members of the band who get to speak in here i think the blonde mike mills is the best actor of them i that that's my you know michael stipes may be the funniest but i think mike mills he i think he has the funny uh, the best delivery mm -hmm. of being sick of uh, lenny talking to to him yeah okay. i would like to i would like to hear a i'd like to hear you guys give a full breakdown of <laughs> all of the non-actors who do simpsons appearances which ones are the best <laughs> <laughs> well tom kite was pretty bad i'll say yeah, that he's real bad yeah but uh, you know john updike i liked his laughter john yeah. updike he only had to laugh a little <laughs> bit uh you know stephen king had a funny delivery yeah I yeah, yeah. Good, you know is stephen yeah. tyler an actor he did I mean, pretty good oh yeah he did do good Oh, no, wait, what am I saying? Peter Frampton. He was the best. Yeah, like, yeah. do you feel? Do you feel? That was the... Uh, meanwhile, Billy yeah. Corgan, the worst actor in that episode, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Also a bad person. <laughs> also a bad person. Yes, yeah. But, uh, meanwhile, Michael Stipe, these jokes are about how Michael Stipe was 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 mocked often for caring about things, you know, daring to uh, wear, you know, AIDS Foundation stuff and being said, like, oh, does he have AIDS? Like, he had to go through that publicly like uh he is a big time vegetarian as will come up uh, much later in the episode so at least lisa who gets mocked all the time and treated horribly here at the very least she gets to hang out with famous uh, uh vegetarians at least she gets to to meet as they're mocked person. yes yeah yeah uh but yes uh rem uh they aren't so happy about homer's ruse here What's his name? Herman Munster Motorcade, Birthday Party Cheetos, Pogo Sticks and Lemonade, You Symbiotic Stupid Jerks, That's Right Flanders, I am talking about you! How'd you get R.E.M. to play in your garage? I told them it was a benefit. They think they're saving the rainforest! <laughs> <laughs> Suckers! Yeah! Oh, Michael, are you sure these guys are millionaires? Come on, would a poor person have a bar in his garage? Hey guys, stand around me. I can't go with Lenny watching. So, gotta pee, huh? Oh, forget it. What the? You can't open your own bar. Seems to me I already did. But it's illegal. You, you can't run a bar in a private residence. Bar? I see no bar. This is a hunting club. Which is permitted by state law to serve beverages of a refreshing nature. Hunting club? You lied to us. <laughs> Michael, no! That's not the REM way. You're right. Let's recycle those shards and get out of here. So yes, Michael Stipe recycles the... I, I do like that the gentle soul of Michael Stipe is about to stab Homer to death. Like, that's kind of funny. <laughs> that's funny. But, but yeah. also... <laughs> but to show how tacked on this is, Mo actually like clears his throat of like, mm, 
anyways, I was saying like it, it because and the, the REM is so unnecessary here. In the original scene you showed me, Henry, uh, Homer is the one who takes out the book to show he's the you know doing the hunting and fishing club, and then Mo grabs the book from him and points out you know the stipulations and stuff. In this uh, finished episode, Mo pulls this book out of nowhere. Yes, yeah, he, he just somehow has just book. has the book yep. with him just to let the lines resume. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yes, also there. That's when Lisa learns Homer's also going to kill animals which she does not like uh which is of course when homer commands her like lemons like with with an implicit threat of violence i see from homer there honestly which again mm-hmm. pretty mean of homer but you know it's also as as they mock her for caring about animals and not wanting people to go hunting of course that calls for another jingle we don't play we have these jingles that don't often play but Stuart, you're in a real uh, jingle uh, episode here so, <laughs> Great. so here's let's hear that jingle take that lisa's beliefs <laughs> so lisa's just on this hunting trip now yes yeah because yep. she doesn't want homer to kill something because she's uh uh obviously as the episode points out later if you care about not killing animals for food you of course are crazy and you eat bad food and you suck and and you may you may as well be a girl which is <laughs> disgusting if you're a man of course uh but yes the then it just becomes the thanksgiving turkey is being hunted which again i i wonder if because they reanimated all the stuff for rem since they did it late they're like you know what this could just come out in november this episode and why don't we just add into thanksgiving stuff mm. if we're gonna reanimate if we're gonna reanimate two minutes of this let's also make it the thanksgiving episode it doesn't feel like it was planned to be yeah, thanksgiving there's nothing until the end right yes yeah there's no uh decorations there's no i gotta buy stuffing from march or <laughs> it just it comes out of nowhere <laughs> just like oh it happens to be thanksgiving yeah but that thanksgiving tray homer lays out for the turkey is pretty it looks pretty tasty gotta say <laughs> and uh this commentary is where i learned the inside gag of simpsons which is the word cranberries which is when they make fun of other writers being bad at writing so the joke uh Stuart, is that if you're in the writer's room and and there's somebody who never pitches a joke and never like tries to riff or anything but when it's like okay what's on a thanksgiving dinner table that's when that uncreative writer jumps up and goes uh cranberries cranberries so that's uh that's the the the, the joke there it's all about bullying in the writer's room yes, it's, it's born out of <laughs> uh, yeah the pulling back the kimono on this one yeah that's cool <laughs> as i mean as i've learned many times uh on on your podcast from from your co-hosts that like yes writer's rooms are very mean and about people who are think they're better than everybody else that's, that's what comedy writer rooms are about yeah that's all that's all that dan ever talks about is how uh working in a writer's room has taught him to be meaner to other people <laughs> not sweet dan <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and yes you know speaking of uh homer's phobia again homer is wearing the same hunting outfit he wore in that episode which that's a smart reuse on the animators why design a whole new design of homer hunting when you've, you've already got a perfectly good one right here yeah, speaking of which, uh, it's another hunting trip that Mo uh, is on as well. Yes, yeah. Though in disguise, which is a great idea if someone is hunting, <laughs> it's, to camouflage yourself. It's great. I love that joke. Camouflage during a hunting trip. So funny. <laughs> the Well, and I love the, he's got camouflage paint on his face, but he also has, he's wearing a camouflaged apron, which yeah. is great. <laughs> that is, that's that's a nice touch, yeah. Oh, uh, Yeah, what do, you, what do you think of Mo's apron uh, fashion sense, Stuart? I mean, I I have never been an apron behind the 
bar person, but I think I can get behind it. Like I, <laughs> I, the problem with, for me is that a lot of aprons uh, loop around the back of your neck and that pulls on my neck and hurts my back. I have a bad back. Mm. Uh, but if I bought one of those like shockingly expensive aprons that don't do that, uh, maybe, maybe that'll be my new thing, guys. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll be like Mo. Yeah, you, and that also probably explains why Bo's in a bad mood all the time is because his back hurts because he's got that apron pulling down. He does have horrible back pain in a lot yeah. of other episodes. It's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, as uh, I, I always think it's from uh, that the time he went down that slide and they needed the jaws <laughs> of life to remove him from it. <laughs> the, true. The, yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, Mo, Mo and Lisa have a little scene together. They rarely share scenes, and I don't believe Mo. I think Mo doesn't like Lisa, <laughs> but but we have a quick clip here. Psst, Lisa. Mo. Listen, I don't like you and you don't like me, but we both want to stop Homer from shooting a turkey. You don't like me? I like you. You do? Then I like you too. Here, have a towelette. Here, turkey, turkey, turkey. Turkey, 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 turkey. Nobody's gonna kill you. From now on, no talking. You want to signal me? Use this bird call. Ooh, ooh, okay, the face. Oh, oh that's a, that, that actually feels good after the after the crotch. <laughs> that's a fun. I like it. It actually feels good. Apparently, after that it. was a Hank Azaria ad lib, just like I Rob now. <laughs> that's good. He's, he's good at Mo ad libs. Yeah, he's great. As uh, you know, he's a master of accents and ad libs. That's that's our Hank Azaria. <laughs> Mo and Lisa are going to work together to prevent a turkey death. I do love Homer saying turkey is the only animal smarter than man. <laughs> That, that exchange between Mo and Lisa is great. It's hilarious. Yeah, where he's yeah. like, "We don't like each other," and she's like, "You don't like me? I like you." <laughs> <laughs> and his and his peace offering is a towelette. That's great too. Like a little package towelette. That's great. <laughs> and, Just what he had on him. Uh, Mo has to prevent Homer from successfully killing a turkey, which would thus make it an official hunting club. Though I would feel like you don't have to kill something to be a hunter. Hunters go out and not kill stuff all the time. Like, but by, by the very action of going hunting, I feel like Homer has fulfilled the mm-hmm. legal requirement by being outside say. with a gun and a yeah. vest yeah uh, i mean I, you, we don't have the small print here so we can't say whether or not it also requires him to kill something that's true you know i would a springfield law definitely could require blood for this yes that an animal yeah. must die <laughs> uh but fortunately a, a turkey is not harmed only mo in our next uh, little clip here dad's gonna slaughter that poor turkey not if I scare it away with this cougar call. <laughs> you did it, Mom! <laughs> hey! <laughs> A cougar! Die, cougar! Oh! <laughs> My leg! Oh, jeez! Got that cat right in the leg. Dad, you shot Mo! Oh, no. This time I really am going to faint. Uh, uh, oh! Son of a... How'd they get your bar back to normal so quickly, Mo? It's a snap when you use certified contractors. Like the ones found in your local yellow pages? Exactly. So weird. I had to keep that in. That's such a great, that it's all just on a reused establishing shot just to explain, look, his bar's back to normal immediately. He hired contractors. Homer uh, first mistakes Mo for a dirty teen and then a cougar. Yes, yeah. And, I, and the way Mo's uh, silhouette is shot, it looks like he's shot in the chest. It does, yeah. It really does. Well, <laughs> I love that Homer hears 
hears him scream, ah, my leg, got that cat right in the leg. That's a great, that's a great line too. <laughs> Though I would actually think Homer getting his head in a bear trap might cause more permanent injury than the uh, the leg getting shot, I would say. But Stuart, how important are certified contractors in bar ownership? I would think they're probably pretty important. Oh my God. Well, because the, the thing is that you always... In order to get things through the Department of Buildings, you need to have certified contractors. But the problem is, is most of them aren't actually certified. They're operating under the license of someone else who is certified. So there's like all these st- uh, stages, like all these shells and that you have to go through. But I will say that when we opened, when we built Hinterlands, it was like a full build. And our contractors were terrible. And we <laughs> did everything wrong. And we had to do it over. Oh. Um, and we're still like fixing things. But it was a, it was a good learning experience. <laughs> uh, you know, if you'd just seen this joke or remember this joke, you'd remember it's a snap. If you just local yellow pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I found if any anybody ever is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do you a favor. Do not work with that person. <laughs> like if, if you have a friend who's like, yeah, I do this sort of thing. I can I can do it for you. I'm like, no, do not hire somebody. <laughs> I would much rather give some money for something than a favor. That, that's a lesson we all learn. It's same, you know, it's tax season right now as we're doing this. And that's a lesson you learn around tax time as well. That some, some people can do you a favor with that, but maybe an accountant's better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yes, it's Thanksgiving randomly here. And uh, I have one, one last clip here of the very inexplicable Thanksgiving ending that also brings back REM one more time uh, to also mock vegetarianism. <laughs> I'm sorry I shot you, Mo. Ah, that's okay. It's like my dad always said. Eventually, everybody gets shot. Oh, I'm glad you two are friends again, so we can all have Thanksgiving dinner together in this bar. Hey, who invited the hippies? I did. You owe R.E.M. an apology for eco-fraud. <laughs> all right, I'm sorry, but I will not save the rainforest. Good enough. Let's eat. And we should all be thankful to Michael, Peter, and Mike for supplying this beautiful turkey made entirely of tofu. Tofu and gluten. I'm thankful I ate before I came. Oh, come on, Bart. Smell those curds. Mmm, <laughs> curds. And I'm thankful I get to spend Thanksgiving with my family, these alternative rockers, and my favorite bartender. Ah, here you go, pal. And here you go. Yeah, it's too heartfelt an ending for all the yeah. for all the cruelty, including Mo getting shot and saying eventually his father said eventually everybody gets shot. <laughs> it, you're just supposed to have a warm heart there of like, and Homer finally gave him the tip and they ring the bell. Like it's hmm. a little too sweet for especially for such a cruel episode as this one with with an <laughs> on screen suicide. Let's not forget that, that is true. That was Act One yeah. or Act Two maybe. Yeah. So I I will say that the, the world of uh, fake turkey products has vastly improved. In fact. No, uh, none of these products would tell you uh, we would boast about their soy or gluten content. Most of them are like no soy, no gluten. Yeah. It's some weird chemical or mushroom protein or something. But uh, fake, I don't eat meat, so fake turkey. It's only improved over the years. There are so many varieties of it. And frankly, Thanksgiving's about the side dishes, folks. Mm, yeah, yeah. Let's not lie to ourselves. The turkey is just yeah. a vehicle for it. Yeah. The reason you, it's the reason you like you you come to the table for the turkey, but you're actually there for the side. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially all these jokes about like you know imitation meat 
you know, sure, in 2001, you can joke like, yeah, it all sucks or it doesn't taste like it or whatever. But especially, I would say at the very least, fast food chains now are putting out fake meats that are getting very popular and people actually really Mm -hmm. like the Impossible Whopper, for example, or like, I got, uh, I'll say the company name, Raised and Rooted. They do a fake McNugget that is, uh, I mean, McNuggets are so processed that if you're having (laughs) a fake one, it is indistinguishable. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, this is, I'm just, much like with how turkey is just a vehicle for the sides, McNuggets are just a vehicle for the uh, fried breading on the outside. And And the the, dip-ins. Yeah, and the dip-ins. Yeah, the dip-ins. <laughs> so yeah these uh if only they could have known how much better vegetarian meat replacements would be by the by the time we do this podcast i, I also i chuckle enough at, at michael stipe saying mm, curds that's all right but <laughs> but but of course the joke is if you're crazy to eat vegetarian food and it's disgusting and a normal person like barter homer a uh, straight man would hate would hate it <laughs> and and uh, only a crazy queer rocker like michael stipe would enjoy this disgusting food but, but yes, uh, but and, and I, I was not insulting it. That's Michael Stipe is identifies as queer, so that is not me. I was not using that as an insult. I'm learning uh, so much. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> this episode, uh, my final thoughts though, it, it's a big, huge mess. Uh, but I'm a big sucker for Mo, and the uh, I think. I'm dying, Mo. Is uh, I think about that a lot, and that joke is, is very well executed. Uh, REM's out of place, as we said, but uh, yeah, it's 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 full of fun jokes, but the plot is uh, basically irrelevant. And that that those are my final thoughts on this one. Yeah, I think you know if they had REM, just do a full REM episode. But perhaps REM's management was like, you can only get them if it comes out before that album in the fall, and so it could it could have been that. But yeah, they they disrupt this entire episode, especially for one that is built around. Mo, meaning it's very mean and cruel and awful and that it's the last three minutes that it becomes a heartfelt thanksgiving thing they could have even made it funny by it being so against the message of the rest of the episode but they actually want you to feel kind of emotion at the very end which kind of goes against it but yeah there's there's some good jokes in here also jokes that definitely are 20 years old and Mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. good (laughs) Uh, but but yeah it's uh there's there's some good stuff in it and cruelty towards mo and mo getting shot that'll always get a chuckle out of me any final thoughts Stuart? yeah i mean i think you guys kind of summed it all up uh like i'm a big fan of mo there's good mo stuff i always like seeing uh bartending represented on screen uh i love the sequence with his uh teacher committing suicide uh yeah and it it was kind of wild that rem showed up do you think they're just big mo fans do you think they're like could be in an episode but only if it's a mo focused one that doesn't make any sense i think they were on it because the writers heard they were lobbying to be on the show and they just stuck them into the i guess the closest episode that was in production to their request <laughs> yeah. that's what it feels like i will compliment my last thing i want to say is i do i meant to compliment the animation team again when they have to animate like rem performing very energetically and moving around and like they really get kind of like michael stipe does do a lot of like moving his hand over his head kind of motions while singing and they they captured well like it actually is well done uh, animation so so compliments to the animation staff on this one so Stuart, thanks so much for being on the show. Please, yes, uh, please plug you. the Flop House, your podcast, the Flop House, going on for quite a long time. I'm a huge fan of it. I saw you guys live in San Francisco. Uh, I think back in 2015, 2016, and uh, uh, your bars as well. If I'm sure you love talking to podcast listeners while you're trying to work. <laughs> I mean, I I do actually. Uh, it's I mean, it's nice 
It's always nice to have uh, listeners come out. We're a little bit out of the way, but yeah, you can come check us out over at Hinterlands Bar, which is in uh, Kensington, Brooklyn, or at Minnie's Bar, although I don't I don't tend bar there. I just usually go there to celebrate. I think depending I think this episode is going to come out after it, but we're about to celebrate our three year anniversary at Minnie's. Wow. Which we're all pretty excited about. Oh, congrats. Our one year anniversary was was on March sixteenth, twenty twenty, which was the exact day all bars and restaurants had to shut down because of COVID. Ouch. Wow. So hopefully this one is better than that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's knock it on wood here for you, Stuart. That, yeah, and, Thank and, you. And yeah, check out the Flophouse. We've been doing it a long time. We review bad movies and we tell jokes. And yeah. I have to say, you guys are an institution. And when I started listening to podcasts, it feels like you were the only bad movie podcast. It's just, it was you and Mark Marin and maybe some NPR thing were the three <laughs> podcasts you could you could find <laughs> online. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is one of those weird things where, like, uh, I, I was just talking to Dan and I, just my co-host Dan McCoy, we're just talking about it, uh, we were being interviewed about, like, the start of the show, and it is like a, he, we just happened to start it and then just not stop. <laughs> That's the trick to podcasting. Those yeah, celebrities, right. they do one season, they're gone. Mm-hmm. We do this forever. Oh, six whole months and you need yeah, a break? Yeah. Ooh. Hiatus. Boy. What is that, honestly? Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> but thanks so much this life <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for being on the show Stuart. Yes, thank you Stuart, so much thanks guys this is great thanks again to Stuart for being on the show please check out the flop house it's available wherever you find podcasts as for us if you want to check out more of what we do and get all these episodes one week at a time and ad free please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons sign up there for five bucks a month you get just that but also access to everything behind the five dollar paywall that includes over 100 bonus podcasts and that also includes monthly access to our monthly patreon exclusive miniseries talking futurama and talk king of the hill that's only available for five dollar patrons and we have a ten dollar level as well when you sign up for that you get access to all of the $5 stuff, plus access to one mega long podcast once a month, only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that, Henry? Bob is talking about the What a Cartoon Movie podcast. You know that we do every month our What a Cartoon podcast where we cover an animated series super in-depth, just like we do The Simpsons. And that extends as well to an animated feature film once a month on What a Cartoon Movie. We go super in-depth, often over four hours, even five hours long on animated feature films like uh, two months ago we did South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. We did Disney's Pinocchio, a Golden Age classic. And this month, I won if we might write do our longest one ever because we are doing childhood favorite in animation uh celebration who framed roger rabbit give that a listen but only if you're at that premium level and get access to an entire back catalog of over three years worth of what a cartoon movie podcast in addition to all the five dollar things bob just mentioned you can learn so much more if you go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons as for me i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo and my other podcast by the way is retronauts it's a classic gaming podcast about old video games find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month and henry what about you follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g i'm always tweeting up a storm there and if you're following us on twitter you really should be following the official twitter account of this podcast at talk simpsons pod because if you did follow that on twitter you'd stay in the loop whenever new things go up on the free feed or on the patreon or if there's news going on in our world also don't forget if you want an easy to explore back catalog of all of our free episodes go to talkingsimpsonspodcast.com for such a list thanks so much for listening folks we'll see you again next time for season three's when flanders failed and we'll see you then
if anybody wants potato chips or anything fancy, tell them to go to hell. Can do. Now, don't you worry about a thing. Hmm. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? I gotta pay for that. No, Mo, you've got it all wrong. People buy beer from you. Yeah. <sighs> uh, look, I, I gotta go. Ha! Ha! I thought you said you had to go. Ha! <sighs>